Hello and welcome to the MMA 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to May of 1997 to bring you volume volume 4 of this month's show covering your UFC action. Uh, the other volumes of the show this month, volume 1, we have WCW Slamboree. Volume 2, WWF action, looking at In Your House, A Cold Day in Hell. And of course, Volume 3 is ECW. Uh, joining me for this, we have firstly Tom Martin. Hello, Sorry, hi, Chris. Sorry, I, 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 I was just—I just, <laughs> I just, just woke up and realised how to use a mute button. So, good morning, Steve. <laughs> how are you doing, Tom? Yeah, I'm very well, mate. Very well. Good, good, good. And of course, we have the boss himself, uh, Big Bobby Bamba. Good morning, Chris. It is uh, yes, very much a bank holiday Monday, and uh, I think we're all in that mode. So, <laughs> understood on Tom's front. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, Tom. My uh, sorry, no, Bob. Yeah. So, yeah. All three yeah. of us have to a good start there. Uh, yeah, back to you, Bob. Uh, you might as well kick us off with this month's uh, Media Corner action. Yes, we are very close to restarting the show, but we'll carry on regardless. Yeah, just a reminder, first of all, that we are on Patreon for five bucks a month if you'd like to say thank you or to get early access to shows like these. UFC shows you generally get, like, we're taping this on May the 1st, so you're getting this uh, a long time for everyone else. We'd like to do that all just to say thank you. You can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash wrestling20rs, linked in the description. And on our website, we'll start with Media Corner itself before a, a very special little segue we've got in a minute. Uh, first of all is the news that Ken Shamrock, between these last two shows, formally signed with the WWF. This all happened in February, and those people that have been listening to the WWF show would have heard all of our insights on that in the last couple of months. Signed a three-year guaranteed contract worth somewhere in the region of, of $500,000 to $1 million per year. We're not quite sure exactly where that uh, levels out. Um, it seemed to me there was a little bit of agreement between both sides. One in the sense that there was some promotion on Raw about USC upcoming the, this pay-per-view um, more just them mentioning it and, and McMahon saying the word jiu-jitsu um, I mean it's close um, but there was that so, so there's a little bit that side and also the thought that um, there was an agreement that the USC wouldn't publicly criticise Shamrock for going into wrestling if they thought that I'm not saying they did there was just that thought that even if there was any you know push back from USC side in terms of Shamrock going to pro wrestling, they wouldn't uh, wouldn't say it publicly. Shamrock had received offers from the USC, New Japan and even a potential meeting with WCW. Um, he had previously received an offer for a much lower amount of money from the WWF which he turned down but also given the financial position within the USC and perhaps more critically the quote unquote retirement of Shawn Michaels, the WWF came back with a better offer. Uh, Shamrock's next MMA fight won't be until May 2000 and won't appear again in the USC until November of 2002. Um, Tom, this is probably a, a an interesting discussion point. I mean, Shamrock's the you know. There's been other talks of Dan Seven and and uh, and other names like that. Even Don Fry trying to get Scott Ferozo a gig in USC of all uh, in uh, WCW of all things at the time. Um, but Shamrock probably the first major name moving from the USC to WWF and uh, interesting times. Yeah, I think there's a few things that. Add to make make you know the whole, that whole thing making sense for me, and I, and we can look at this in a slightly different perspective in that we know how it went afterwards, um, and it was and it was a, a big success for Shamrock and for WWE, and and I would say for UFC as well because it, it you know brings their their product to more eyes. I think Shamrock is a very marketable guy. He, he's got a good look. He's got actually it's a very uh, it's almost like a WWE name that he has. It's almost like you well although if he came in as Ken Shamrock, you expect him to come out dressed in green. And throwing, um, 
I know pints of Guinness over people, but it it it, it works. I it wouldn't take a lot to sell it to people, and he's got a, he's got the look of a, a legitimate um, badass. He he is um, a, a, you know a well respected fighter in UFC, and it, I can t- totally see the logic of it. You look at guys like Dan Seven, and and like you say, um, uh, we've got a bit of cross, you know, media crossover with Tank Abbott this month, and um, I, I think when you when you look at it on paper, it makes the most sense. And um, I think, you know, well done to Ken Shamrock for turning down the offer that they gave him of, of not enough money and holding out and saying, you know what, I'm actually worth more than, you, than you're offering. Um, so, yeah, good for him. And I, I think, you know, good for everyone, good for everyone involved. Um, yeah, I, I think it makes good business sense, the whole thing. So we, we, we might not uh, we might not discuss this again, given that you know Sharrock might not appear in in this part of the the tunnel going forward. What do you think of the WWE's presentation of uh, of Shamrock? Certainly in say his first year or so in the company, because I mean I, I'm kind of going through it at the time, having just finished the the April stuff, and we we, we had a, a discussion on the the WWF show last month about uh, the quote unquote exhibition he had on Raw and that kind of thing, and how they're you know wrestling's kind of not-so-great relationship when it comes to presenting stuff quote-unquote real. Um, but how do you think they presented Shamrock? Well, I can tell you, when I, wa- I was... Wa- I mean, I haven't watched it since I was a teenager because I'm, I'm not watching this period of, 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 of 97 um, WWF, but I watched it when it came out and I was really, it, was when I, it was when I was really into WWF. And um, I, I was a, a young teenager and I was t- totally bought in to the fact that this guy was doing something that he shouldn't really be doing. And I, I didn't even think about watching UFC because I thought, well, that's far too adult for me. Um, and it was like, I, I remember thinking this guy is legitimately scary. And the way they presented him was, was done uh, to me at that age, convincingly enough to think, um, you know, th- this is real. That he, he is, I suppose in a, in a similar way to what the way that Brock Lesnar's presented in the current WWE product is that actually if he, re- if he really wanted to, he could kill this person. Um, I don't, I don't really remember the finer detail of how they presented the UFC product and all that, so I can't really comment on it. Um, but I know it didn't do them any, any damage. Um, but I remember him being a formidable force when they presented him when I watched it back, back all that time ago, yeah. Chris, thoughts on Shout to WWF? Um, I haven't seen too much of him in practice, but I do think there's always a fine line to tread within professional wrestling with, like, presenting someone like a UFC fighter, like, this guy's a shoot fighter, this guy's legit, well, what does that make the rest of your roster? And I'm not sure in the long term if that's the most uh, practical way to present someone like this coming into a company. Um, What I do think, though, is that Shamrock has a lot of potential within professional wrestling generally. I think there's a lot that you could do with him. I don't know about how well it will take him to get up to a, say, good to excellent level in terms of his in-ring professional wrestling work, but I think it's an exciting prospect for the WWF to have signed at this stage. I think it was a within, maybe not within the mainstream, but I think it within the hardcore MMA or professional wrestling fan community, I think if you're watching this live in 1997, you're very, very excited. And WWF really hasn't given too many reasons to be very, very excited in the last couple of years of our timeline. So I think it was a good move for all involved. Yeah, I mean, when you 
you draw the comparison to, to Brock Lesnar now and you look at how Lesnar was presented. Now, okay, to a point, Lesnar was a, a bit of a different story in the sense that Lesnar had the, the background in the WWE before he left to go to UFC. So when they, when they brought him back, they had something to lean on. But it's not like they, you know, other than Paul Heyman's promos, it's not like they made a massive deal out of Lesnar's UFC run. They they wanted to be able to cross promote just by saying this guy is a former UFC heavyweight champion. That's kind of all they've as far as they've gone. The problem they had twenty years ago was that saying Shamrock is an ultimate fighting champion didn't mean all that much. It implied quite a bit, but people couldn't put it into context. And so that's why they kind of had to have these exhibition type things and they you know they it's kind of the problem they had was that they they didn't have enough in their audience to be able to just say it outright. They had to try and prove it, but the problem is you can't prove it without saying the rest is fake. Um, so that's a, that's been an interesting battle. But I, I think Sharrock was a very good get for the WWF at a time where they were low on name power. And, and really, you know, the thing I've said about Shamrock on the Daily Show a couple of months ago, we talk about pay-per-view draws. Um, Shamrock was one of the few guys left, really. Um, most of the other guys were either in WCW or just weren't available. Um, Shamrock was a guy who in the previous couple of years had drawn on top of USC shows. Okay, that was beginning to dwindle, so in some sense he got at the right time. Um, but yeah, I think as you both said, fair play to Shamrock for, for getting a good deal at the right moment. Um, and I think the WWF got a good deal. I, I'm kind of I'm very interested to see how he plays out on WWF television, certainly in the next year or so, um, just to see quite how they get it right or get it wrong with him. Um, moving on, uh, not well, not as as much news in terms of being banned on pay per view and in uh, and in. Uh, in certain states, perhaps the most significant that we've seen so far. Starting with the state legislation, as New York Governor George Pataki signed a bill into law on the 25th of February, banning no-holds-barred fighting in New York State. And to quote uh, a, a paragraph in the Wrestling Observer, well, to quote, and then to open a quote with, to have someone who wins by using chokeholds and kicking people while they're down is not someone our children should be looking to emulate, end quote. And then Dave Meltzer added afterwards, luckily for us, our children have people like Mike Tyson to emulate instead of the horrible threat they may be exposed to like some, by someone like Dan Seven. So there's that. The more the more interesting and noteworthy was the pay-per-view carriers that just started dropping like flies. The telecommunications link, the large, large chain of cable companies in the US, declared that they would no longer be carrying no-holds-barred shows going forward. Now, made in March, USC did believe they were going to be able to negotiate with them to perhaps try and change the rules of the way the show was presented, including a mandate to add, make mandatory that uh, fighters wear gloves, but that didn't work. So TCI accounted for about a quarter of the available homes left in the US in the US for USC, so about five million out of twenty. Then in May, Time Warner announced that they too will be dropping shows. That basically was the final straw for Extreme Fighting Championship, which was another fighting promotion that had been around for a couple of years. They basically went out of business in April and then thought they were gonna um, find a renaissance at once time one or drop them, I think that was it and then off top of all that Request TV said they would also be dropping USC after the show I don't have exact numbers over exactly the amount of uh, the dropping coverage but when people talk about USC kind of 
blacking out and going in the dark. This really was it. It was this this kind of gaps in the last couple of months where they lost a lot of their a lot of their pay per view carriage. Um, and the big knock on factor is the drop in purses uh, that apparently uh, Mark Coleman, Don Fry, and Marco Huha were all appear set to appear on this show, but none of them did. Coleman appeared, but he didn't fight. Um, and there were talks of doing Belfour versus Huha or Coleman, but amongst other things, USC did wants to protect their investment in Belfour, so they paid him off against Tank Abbott. Uh, Chris, this is the when people talk about um, USC going dark in 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 the late nineties. Uh, I think this is it. I think I can't imagine it can get much worse than losing three three pay per view carriers in the space of two months. No, it's it's bad times really for a promotion that all things considered has had a, an exceptional couple of years. Really, I mean they've done very well with their shows. All their shows are good watches. Like. It's it's a, it's, a, it's an unfortunate situation and it's a difficult situation and I know we're we're going to touch on it slightly more but considering what else happened at the start of the month in terms of giving the UFC or Ultimate Fighting mainstream coverage it's it's a bad time because with with what they were able to get involved in and was shown on TV on the eighth of May was was so mainstream that 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 might have really helped the UFC but with this situation with their pay per view carriers just dropping them left, right and centre. I mean, it was bad times all round, really. And uh, it's, it, it, it does slow down, really, when you think we're on UFC 13 and the rate of shows and how many shows a year, it really slows down the next couple of years. And uh, Yeah, I think I, it, it bottoms out at three in one year, doesn't it, I think? Yeah, I, I mean, we're not going to be having too many of these, these shows unless we pick up Pride when that, when that starts. But it, it's, not, it's not a good time to be an MMA fan in 1997. Tom? Uh, yeah, no, all, all I would add there is just to say that when you, when you were talking about it and I was thinking about the impact of how it must, you know, the, the business impact and, and how they're trying to run things and get their product out to people, it, remi- it reminded me in a way of, again, switching over to pro wrestling for a sec, the ECW issues that they had with their network providers towards the end of their tenure. Um, and it just, as a fan, you don't, you don't want to see this. You don't, you don't want to hear the, the, the products that you're enjoying and you're looking forward to is being sort of held within a business model and, and, and being held back from reaching its biggest possible audience when all you want is for it to, it to succeed. Now, I know there's a lot that goes along with it and it's all money, it's all numbers as it always is, but um, it's a frustrating time as a fan and a frustrating fa- uh, time for them trying to run the business as well. So uh, it's, it's a disappointing um, thing to be reading about, but, you know, let's hope. Um, I think we know uh, that they'll recover and, 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 and get through it with no, you know, long-term damage done. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, as, as you say, we know what comes out of the other side, but interesting to see how kind of low things sink in the next couple of years in terms of their exposure and their ability to, bait, uh, ability to pay fighters. I mean, we, you know, there's a whole generation of guys that you suspect had UFC have been able to, to, to ride this way more easily than they did. And when I talk about that, I mainly talk about exposure and financially, as, in, as, as we kind of alluded to there, that the, the lack of exposure means they have to cut costs, and cutting costs means they can't pay guys as much, which is part of the reason why Ken Shamrock ended up in the WWE. Um, and you just wonder what might have been had USC been in a stronger financial position in this run, um, the kind of fights they uh, that, that they could have put on. Uh, a few other... 
some bits to go through. Um, not much last-minute problems, but there were potential for one. Apparently, the Georgia Boxing Commission went to Georgia's Attorney General asking for a temporary restraining order, but that was denied. Uh, that ended up, there was a great big uh, sheet at the arena that we saw on the pay-per-view that said uh, Georgia Boxing Commission had a big, like, strike-through line and said, like, USC 1-0, that kind of thing. So that was quite good. Um, but apparently, for once, because Augusta, I think, was the, the site of the uh, September pay-per-view last year. Um, they seem to be quite welcoming. The uh, Mayor of Augusta declared the 30th of May Ultimate Fighting Day. Dan Seven was offered a front office job as spokesperson for the WWF, sorry, for USC. Uh, USC basically wanted to retire him, including his shirt, which I thought was a weird one. Yeah, it's not like it, you know, it's not like he fights in the shirt. Oh, that's what he does, actually. But it comes out in the shirt. They want to retire that. And Seven, of course, who's still going basically now, um, was a bit less keen to be uh, pushed out of the octagon. Uh, a couple of other things. There was an Associated Press story that ran on the 18th of March about Mark Schultz wanted to do more USC events um, but the people at Brigham Young University where he's a wrestling coach didn't think it was consistent with their teachings so obviously Schultz never fights again um, and jumping ahead to after the show um, just I need to frame it now in case we don't get to it um the after party, there was a fight broke out between Tank Abbott and Victor Belfort's boxing coach. It didn't last that long, or apparently longer than the uh, Abbott and Belfort match itself in the in the main event. Um, and it ended up, it ended up including a scuffle with Valid Ismaili, who was on the last UFC show, uh, before eventually being calmed down. Um, Tom, thoughts on any of that? Well, it wouldn't be a party if Tank Abbott didn't start on someone, would it? Let's be honest. I think no. everyone would go home disappointed. Um, no, I've not really got anything of value to add. I just wish that I, I, I could go to one of these UFC parties, just follow Tank around and see how he acts. But no. Chris? Um, as a side note, you mentioned Dan Seven still going today. I would recommend anyone out there who hasn't yet seen it, do go check out uh, Dan Seven versus Matt Riddle that took place, I think it was over WrestleMania weekend, was it? Um, in, in modern day, in 2017, because that match was awesome. Dan Seven looks incredible for his age. Oh wow! I mean, like that yeah, was it was match. so good. A, pro- a professional wrestling match, yeah, yeah. I don't, Dan Seven's MMA days may be behind him, but his pro wrestling days are, are looking as good as ever. So, yeah. As a side note, uh, if you haven't seen that, do check it out. Does he, Chris? Does he take a bump? Yeah, they have a full match. Oh wow! Well, like, so he probably gets involved. No... Wow. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's and it's excellent as well. Like it's it's really good. Oh, I have to check that out. So, the one thing we've alluded to that I haven't got to yet uh, was on the 8th of May, uh, an episode of Friends uh, featured as one of its storylines, the UFC. Um, now, I, I believe, I mean, I must I must be breaking new ground here in that I am going to basically do a play-by-play of a Friends episode, which cannot be done on any podcast before, surely. Um, so, yes, on the 8th of May, I think it was called uh, entitled The One with the Ultimate Fighting Championship, I think was the episode of the show. Um, so, I'll just read you through my, my notes about him on the show. And you might think this is overdoing it a little bit, but I will frame all this by saying that this show, uh, thanks in part to, a, well, in part to just the amazing ratings Friends got, in part because of a... a uh, a special guest brief cameo from Robin Williams uh, drew 23.1 million viewers. Wow. Fucking hell. Yeah, that's a lot. So, uh, yeah, I have got four notes on here for this. For, this is 
So strange. We start in Central Perk with Monica revealing that her boyfriend Pete wants to compete in some ultimate fighting thingy. It's sort of like wrestling, but without the costumes. Joey says it's not fake, it's brutal. And Chandler adds, yes, there's two guys in the ring, and the only rules are that there are no rules. Ross says there are only two things that are disallowed, and they are eye gouging and fish hooking. Monica asks what fish hooking is, and Joey demonstrates that on Ross. Meanwhile, Chandler wrestles with a dilemma of his boss slapping his butt after meetings. We see Pete, Monica's boyfriend, in a training in a gym, or basically he's only boxing at this point. Monica says the fighting sounds dangerous, and Pete says he's being smart. Meanwhile, Phoebe asks Rachel if she can set up Rachel's ex-boyfriend, Ross, with a girl. Rachel is fine with this when she finds out the girl is bold, only to later discover she used to be bold, and he's now totally hot. I cannot believe I'm reading this on this show. But anyway, we join Ross and Monica at ringside for a USC event. They've done a decent job with this, and we see Bruce Buffer introduce Pete against Tank Abbott. Monica and Ross look horrified, and rightly so. Big John McCarthy does the let's get it on. Tank picks up Pete and rounds him straight into the cage and the scene ends with him running across the octagon with, his, with Pete on his shoulders. After the commercial, Monica greets Pete, who's sat in the, le- the empty arena. Pete is surprisingly coherent for someone who apparently was passed out. Pete said he's going to keep going until he's the ultimate fighting champion. We join another scene where us allegedly watching another Pete fight in the flat, but it's over before it starts. Chandler's plan to stop his boss slapping his butt is to say it's making other members of the team jealous. After Phoebe talks to Rachel down, talks Rachel down for her Ross issue, we see Pete in full rigid upper body cast and a neck brace. He says he can't give up until he's the ultimate fighter. Monica says she can't stay with him if he continues to do it, so they break up. Chandler ends up regretting his decision as his boss starts slapping the butt of every other team member except him. The episode closes with the friends watching another Pete fight. It doesn't sound like he's faring any better. So the news behind all of this was that apparently one or two members of the uh, Friends cast were big USC fans, so they decided to push for the USC uh, story to get pushed into an episode. Um, And on the set um, was, amongst other people, Tank Abbott, John McCarthy, promoter Bob Marowitz, and Vitor Belfort. I don't think we saw him during the show. Um, apparently Abbott was outgoing, this is a quote from the Wrestling Observer, and did really well on set, while Belfort, who's more shy and apparently was out of his element, felt like he was being ignored and kind of stormed off the set. Um, Tom, I mean, I, I break no new ground by saying that Friends is ridiculously popular at this point, so it is now. Um, but this was, uh, we talk about, you know, like an EDW getting a bit of exposure on Raw. This, for this product that was unknown to the mass majority of the population, to get this kind of exposure was, you know, better than any PR the USC ever could have got at the time. As we kind of alluded to earlier, just a shame they didn't really have the, the mechanics and the, the kind of, you know, the structure to be able to capitalise on it. Yeah, it's whoever struck this deal is, uh, needs to be thanked to, to, you know, to the end of time for UFC. I mean, ha- there's not, I can't think of a way that you, the only, the only, well, what I was going to say was I can't think of a way that you would get to su- uh, such a bigger audience in such a, uh, such a, in such a, it's not like, like it's live TV and things can go wrong. They can actually plan it and they can put it together and they can, they can present it in a way that they agree with. Um, obviously it has to make sense within the story as well, but the only, Slight issue when I was watching it is that actually this is a fictional TV show and will that actually make people think, you know, when Joey said it's not fake, um, will people actually think, well, you know, it's part of a TV show, so maybe it is. I don't know. I'm, I, may, I might be reading into it a bit too much there. But 
I, I, I think it is, is a, a, a great deal for the UFC. I think, actually, I, I've, I've seen it before the episode, and I watched it again uh, this weekend, and I, I, I'm very impressed with how they handled it. You could tell that I, I was interested that you said that a couple of the cast members were fans, because if they weren't, this could have been done um, very embarrassingly. But I imagine UFC had some, uh, some say in everything that went down throughout the episode as well. Um, uh, I, I, uh, not to cover over the things that you've already said, uh, there were a few things that I thought were interesting. I, I thought that the fact that when um, um, they sat down in the arena, uh, there was a very mixed audience in terms of male and female. It was, it was at least 50-50, and we know from the, from the events we've watched, it's nowhere near 50-50. But that's, that's clever, because they're, they're saying to people that watch that show, which there's a lot of couples that watch, yeah, a lot of groups of friends, no, no pun intended, um, it, it, it could work for all of you. Um, so that was, I thought that was clever. I, I saw that Ross was carrying a UFC-branded cup, which really excited me, and I thought I really want to have that cup because um, it had the original UFC logo on it, and I bet they're worth a bit of money now. Um, and I, I, you, I couldn't help but watch it as a bit of a, as a bit of a, a UFC, I don't know, like a bit of a snobby UFC fan. I made a couple of notes. I, I don't think on his debut that Monica's boyfriend would have got to fight Tank. I think that's an unrealistic expectation. I know. Could, really could have been an alternate. <laughs> It could have been an alternate, yeah, but the crowd was pretty. It was, it, there was a packed arena for the alternate. There's always a few empty seats, so that was a bit unrealistic. Um, and also, we know at this stage that UFC isn't in New York in 1997, so I think they were um, factually bending the rules a little bit to suit the story. And I, I suppose we'll let them get away with it because they weren't going to take it out of New York. Um, and yeah, I, I thought actually another another thing I thought when I was watching the actual, fin- you know, they talked about the finish of the fight and and Monica's boyfriend lost by. Um, Tank Abbott standing on his neck. I thought maybe that might be inspired by the, when the fight. If you don't, if you guys remember the fight he had with Paul Valens, he finished, I can't remember if the fight finished that way, but he had his knee on Valens' neck and he just wasn't letting him up. He was pinning him up against the cage and he was just he just wouldn't let him move. And I wonder if they might have used that as inspiration for the way that they finished this fight. But who knows? Uh, no, it, was, it was good. I, I enjoyed it, and uh, didn't, as I said, it, it, it would have done wonders for the company in promoting them. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It's good fun, Chris. Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, to take a different view on it to Tom, I mean, are we to believe that UFC 205 was one big lie and was not the first time UFC ran an event in New York State? And clearly they had an event in 1997 with Becca fighting on it. There's video evidence, yeah. They had a UFC event in New York State in 95 to be... Oh, to, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair, yeah, um, it wasn't but, legal, was it, to run it, to run, to run events there? Like, it, like I, they had to get to that signed off. Oh, I suppose, well, I suppose okay, so maybe it's a one-off thing. They could have done that here, yeah. But uh, the other thing I noted is that uh, Big John McCarthy on his uh, on his referee shirt, he had the uh, said UFC Judgment Day, which is the was the slogan for UFC 12 that we reviewed back in February. Oh, good spot. So don't, so I don't know if they were filming this back in, uh, where was that? It was Dauphin, Alabama, UFC 12 took place. And was that the show with all the last minute drastic changes where they had to fly halfway across the country with I think this looked like a set, to be fair. I don't think this was filmed during that show. I think well, been... Chris might be onto something though, because that was Vita Belfort's de- debut, wasn't it? So it would make sense if he was in the house. Like, it may, it may not be at the same place, but it, it may be in the same crew. Yeah. Yeah, it might yeah. have been filmed around the same time. Yeah. Tank Abbott was there for that, but he didn't fight either, so he would have been like fine to just 
film this and do whatever they needed and Buffer was there and Big John I'd, I'd be there. very surprised if this wasn't filmed specifically for them you know I, I can't imagine they'd be flying a a friend's TV crew out to Alabama on 36 hours notice for a for, for a show that had to be kind of packed up and packed down in about 48 hours I'd be this looked like a TV set um, they did a really good job with it, um, mm. but I, I, I would be surprised if this was anything but just a, a specific job for friends. But Chris, what, what do you think of the show itself and how it was portrayed? Yeah, I thought it was excellent. I thought um, the little touches, like you, you alluded to at the start, where uh, Tom brought up how um, being like featured on the TV show maybe would have a negative converse, connotation in terms of like it's on a t- it's on Friends, is it fictional, etc. I think how they handled it at the start where Monica introduced it to the group and Joey and Chandler set, like hyped it up in in a way like alluding to there's the only rule is there's no, is there's no rules, it's brutal and explaining what um, fish hooking was. I think without that maybe introduction to the episode, then I could see a slightly negative connotation for the UFC. But with with that introduction, if if you've never heard of the UFC, you hear that introduction and you see what happens to, to Pete. I mean, I don't think you'd have any any sort of concept in your head that it wasn't real and wasn't legit. I thought this was incredible exposure. I mean, I can't believe how many times... I would have watched this episode throughout my life, probably not for years and years and years, and never picked up on the fact it was Tank Abbott throwing John McCarthy in the octagon. I can't like I, I couldn't believe how I'd let that slide, but I guess it was just a ten years ago me wasn't quite so familiar with with all those guys maybe. Um, but I thought it was exceptional exposure, and as you both said, whoever um, managed to strike this deal on behalf of the UFC, I know it would have been. Uh, coming from friends or NBC or whoever's side like would have had to approach the UFC like UFC wouldn't have the clout to approach a show was it 23 million viewers did you say yeah um, I mean but to get this deal and to get this exposure is just exceptional and like you as you said in the media corner with the drop in pay-per-view it's just a shame that it came around that time if UFC was accessible at this time and knowing that this aired on the 8th of May and you've got a pay-per-view on the 30th, you could have run a little advert after the episode of Friends and really, really hyped up UFC 13. And who knows how many that would have brought in, but I'm not sure if, if that all came together in, in such a way that it was feasible with the troubles they were having with their pay-per-view carriers. But all in all, it was, it was a great episode aside from the UFC stuff. Um, yeah, uh, I've I, I got to say that the best, I, I loved all the UFC stuff, but the best part of the episode is the Robin Williams cameo at the start, I thought. It's so funny. Because I, I remember reading a story about it, that him, him and Billy Crystal were, were on the same, they were in the same uh, studio lot um, doing a film, and they just happened to, to go in for lunch. They were on their lunch, and they walked into the set, and they said, oh, would you mind doing a quick a quick scene with us? Um, and I, I won't spoil anything, but I think, you know, it just goes to show the, 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 the loss that the entertainment world had when Robin Williams died. The guy's so funny. Uh, um, I mean, this couldn't have gone any better. We talk about you know, PR and, and public exposure, and okay, they were you know they were working together clearly. Um, but you, you know, you if you wake up one morning and you're you know Bob Merowitz and and you get a call from the the producers, the guys that are you know this is like you know I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say I think this is the hit show around this time. I don't believe there's anything else in America that's uh, is Seinfeld on at this time, ninety seven. Uh, let's have a look. Because that was I, enormous. Uh, Seinfeld is something I know very little about. Um, I can't imagine it was as big as Friends at this time. 
Seinfeld ah. ran from 89 to 98. Right. Um, average, average, oh yeah, way bigger. Average viewers in millions in 90, for season 8, 33 million. Bloody hell. Oh, wow. Wow. It's, yeah, um, you, you can't, it was enormous that show, seriously. Just like, I think, I think, the, I think the finale of the show, the show was the most watched thing in TV ever at the time. Let's find out. Season 9, the final one, averaged 38 million viewers. Uh, and the, let's find out. And the final show, the finale of Seinfeld. Holy fuck. Yeah. Uh, the, the last four episodes looks like a two hour finale. The first two on the final night did 58.5 million viewers. And then the final two episodes entitled the finale, same night, 76.3 million. Oh, Fucking hell, yeah. I knew, I knew it was big. I, I, didn't, I didn't remember it being that big. I, I okay. My point. All right, friends, friends, friends is pretty big. <laughs> I mean, number one, it's pretty big. Um, but yeah, like you, you, you just wake up and you're like, oh shit, it's like Christmas. It's like all your Christmases are cut at once. Um, and you know, it, it looked really good. And I think Chris made a good point in terms of how they introed it as in, you know, obviously they're working together. So there was never an, an incentive for, for NBC or for friends to cast a negative light on the show. Um, but I thought the way they introduced it, I mean, okay, you know, Ross saying, you know, there's only two ways to, there's only two, um, rules, no eye gouging, no fish hooking, which is correct. And that was all set up for, for Jerry to stick his, his finger in Ross's mouth. So I suppose there's that. Um, but yeah, there's the, the the key scene really from a, from a USC perspective is the bit where you see Bruce Buffer and then you see the walkout of, of Tank Abbott. Um, and you know, there's you know, there's there's almost no actual in ring action beyond Tank trying to launch Pete out of the cage. But you know, you, you're never going to expect that. I think, um, they, Bob, just jump in there. When 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 they walked out, I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but did either of you notice? I think they used the same music that they use when the guys walk out. Cause you know, it's always that generic sort of generic rock music they use. I, yeah, I they think do. it's, yeah, which is a, a nice touch. Again, it adds to the, the realism of it. Um, but yeah, you know, just, uh, you know, I've seen this episode before a, a bit like Chris, you know, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't have known who, who Big John McCarthy was back around the time I was watching Friends, but just never really, I wasn't really following UFC to any point when I, when I saw that episode, so I never really kind of tied the two together, but it's fascinating to see, you know, how, yeah, this 23 million viewers, the kind of exposure that you'd, you'd kill for. I mean, not for any kind of TV show in America's doing numbers like that these days. Um, but yeah, I thought from a UFC perspective, it came across really, really well, with the odd exception, but nothing of any note. Um, you know, seeing like a, you know, I, I didn't think it looked brilliant. I mean, it, it, was, all right, it was comical, but I didn't think it looked brilliant where after the, the match we didn't see, we see Pete in a, a full upper body cast. I didn't think that reflected brilliantly well on USC, but I think it was it was uh, funny enough and a, a comedic enough segment where it didn't matter. Um, but on the whole, just, you know, nice going back to watch Friends. I think I might start picking it up in timeline now as well. Um, but yeah, on the whole, I thought it was really, really good. Um, Chris, unless there's any more, I think we'll probably get on with the show. Uh, just before I jump into the show, I know he's he's nowhere near the size, but do you now see any resemblance between Scott Ferrozo and Pete Becker? Like, no. voice and... Uh, I, I can't not see it. I don't know why. A little just, bit. They don't look, they don't look they similar. Do. They've got the same voice. They look... Uh, I don't know why, but... Scott Ferrozo is about 120 pounds heavier. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like... If you, Scott, if you, Scott, Scott Froso is Scott Froso is like a shit stunt man. 
if, if he came on the set and, and, and you sort of saw him from the back and from the side, you might think, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's him. But if you turn around, you'd be like, oh, fuck off. If you took away those £120, I think they'd look really similar, but maybe it's just me. Uh, yeah, but if you took away £120 from Scott Ferrozo, he wouldn't look like Scott Ferrozo. He'd look completely different. Uh, I suppose, I suppose. I just think they have a similar face and voice. I think that it was, uh, it was during what, rather than when Ferrozo was fighting, it was during a promo where it hit me. Um, but uh, maybe, maybe I'm off the mark with that one. But, uh, yeah, so we might as well jump straight in with our UFC 13 review. So before we get to the show, Tom, would you kindly uh, kick us off with the results? Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. So um, we had two uh, tournaments uh, against, you know, lined up against each other in, in the show here. Um, we had the lightweight tournament and the heavyweight tournament, and we also had a super fight main event. Um, so I'll go through the results from the lightweight tournament first, and then heavyweight, and then and then we'll then cover the, uh, the the very quick um, result of the final, the uh, super fight. So the lightweight, there was an alternate bout between um, Tito Ortiz and uh, Wes Alberton, which was stopped after 31 seconds. Uh, it was a corner stoppage, um, technically a TKO, um, with Tito Ortiz picking up the win. Um, the semi-finals. Um, there was uh, Guy Mezger uh, versus Christoph Leninger, which was stopped after the full time limit of 13 minutes plus two minutes stoppage. And it was um, it was a decision, a uh, unanimous call from the judges. Um, they, they, they called it to be um, uh, very much in Guy Mezger's favour, which we'll cover when we go through the results, of course. Um, now, I'm looking at the results on Wikipedia here, and it says that Ensign Inouye defeated Royce Alger. But is that is that right? Did, did, was it, did he then step out before the final? Because oh, I've just got memory blank here. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. won the match, yeah. And then he, yeah, he that's right. Sorry. Vision problems, I think, was, was what they were saying. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. I, 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 sometimes these, these results present you with a different story to the one you remember. Um, so, yeah, Ensign Inouye picked up the win over Royce Alger after 1 minute 36 seconds via submission um, to, to work, work his way to the final, which obviously he didn't make, which I've just alluded to. Uh, and then the final of the lightweight tournament, uh, we had Guy Mezger versus Tito Ortiz, and Mezger picked up the victory after three minutes via guillotine choke. Um, and we'll cover that in more detail later. The heavyweight tournament, there was an alternate bout between uh, Saeed Hosseini and Jack Nielsen, which we didn't see, or at least I didn't see within the, um, the version of the show that I watched. Um, but Jack Nielsen picked up the victory there after one minute, 23 seconds via TKO um, with, with punches. Um, and then moving into the uh, semi-finals, uh, Stephen Graham defeated Dmitry Stepanov after one minute thirty seconds via submission with an arm lock. And then the other heavyweight semi-final, uh, we had the r- debut of Randy Couture, who defeated Tony Helm uh, via submission rear naked choke after one minute. Um, and then moving into the final of the heavyweight tournament, Randy Couture defeated Stephen Graham after 3 minutes and 13 seconds via TKO and punches. Um, and then we had our super fight between Tank Abbott and Vita Belfort, which uh, was, well, I won't go into any review of it now, but there's plenty of things to say on it. Uh, Vita Belfort picked up the victory, defeating Tank Abbott after only 52 seconds, again via TKO and uh, many, many punches. Thank you very much, uh, Tom. Uh, Bob, uh, quick thoughts on this show overall before we get into the review. Uh, yeah, another really good UFC show. I think, we, uh, as, as I read in, in reviews of the show, the production quality was excellent. The, the flow of the show was fantastic. They had, uh, they had stuff to fill in where necessary when uh, there, there was not that 
oh god, what we're going to do next kind of thing. Even when the you know the, the quite late call it seems for Inoue to to pull out, um, they were like, right, we've got this. T- we'll get this TRT footage ready from the uh, from the prelims, and they had all of that lined up. And I don't think they would have showed it otherwise, unless they were just going to show a filler match between the interviews with all of those guys. Uh, from a from a, from an actual action perspective, it was a good show. There was only one match of any real length of time. Um, Nobody looked out of place, which is a problem we've had before, but I think we're kind of getting away from that now. I'm a big fan of the, the kind of dueling formats on, on the on the same time so that you've got guys that are more fresh. Um, and, and I thought they did a tremendous job building up Vitor Belfort and Tank Abbott, particularly Belfort, because Abbott's quite well known already, um, throughout the show. Um, and it was a main event delivered. So, yeah, two big thumbs up from me. And, Tom, your thoughts on the show? I thought that it was a good show. I thought that from start to finish, I would agree with Bob that the presentation and the the, the format is, as we've touched on before, it, it's it's well known. It's, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But there were little tweaks that they made that improved the presentation and the, the way that it was delivered to me. Like the like Bob said, the, the the build up to the the main event was done very well, and even the backstage promos that they they were doing, um, but before each fight, they just felt a little bit more. There's a bit more finesse to them. They'd have the sort of fighters posing and things like that. And it's just little touches like that that make it seem like they haven't just sat them down in a chair and done like a talking head with them for a minute and, and taken the, the best quote from it. Uh, and I thought that the card itself, um, it looked good on paper. I, I, I think, you know, now we've seen it looking back. I'm not sure if this will stand up as one of the best pay-per-views ever, but there's a few things of note in it um, that, are, that are worth checking out. And... There is enough in it to, you know, to, for it to, it, it's worth your time watching this. And like Bob said, there's only one fight that went over three minutes and what was it 13 seconds? Uh, so that if you like quick fights, uh, and that's what you like watching UFC or MMA for, this is really worth your time. Um, and quick there's this... only about two hours and 15 minutes front to back, um, and that was part of that. Mm. But yeah, if you're looking for a, a, a quick UFC show to watch, this, this, this certainly would, would meet that criteria. Yeah, absolutely, and if, yeah, exactly. And if you, if you wanted to skip between the matches and 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 just watch them, you could probably do the whole thing in about forty five minutes. Um, but it's 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 a, it's a good show, and I and I, I enjoyed it, and um, I'll be looking forward to getting your thoughts on it, you guys as well. Yeah, I have to agree with both of you. I really enjoyed the show overall. The fights were good. There were no duds in there. Production was the best it's been. Really impressed with how they had, yeah, as Bob said, the, the Ortiz alternate fight queued up and ready to go in, in the event of a, de- a delay. Um, everything was good. They're, they're getting they're getting better at this. And again, it's a shame that we're, we're heading to the, the so-called dark years, really, because they the shows are great. Like they're, they're always fun. Uh, this is probably the, the the quickest two hours and fifteen minutes show ever. It, it never drags. It it just flies by. Um, really, really enjoyed this overall. There was only I don't know if you guys are going to touch on this, but there was only one error that I picked up on, and it's during the intros for the Leninger Mezga fight. I, I, I don't know if you picked up on it, but they they were they were they were playing the audio of one of their backstage interviews while the entrance was happening, and that's the only thing I noticed. No, I, I didn't notice that, um, but... Right, it's... OK, because he was talking, but the visual was him walking out um, to the octagon. Um, unless, of course, again, it was just my my version of the video, but it, it, it seemed like a bit... That's the, that was the only thing, and that's, I, just, I just thought I'd mention it, because actually, that's, if that's all that's wrong with it, and it lasted about five seconds, then they've done a I mean, even... good job. Sorry, I, I mean, even Joe Rogan um, makes the show smoother. Uh, oh, yeah. You have a fight... 
they cut r- rather than awkward silence where the announcers try and fill time, they cut to the back and Joe Rogan's there interviewing a fighter. I mean, the whole shows flow so well these days. Um, uh, they're really getting it down. I mean, 13 shows in. I suppose a few more with the ultimate, ultimate. So realistically, what 15 shows in? But yeah. they they seem to have got it down to a T. So anything else, or should we get going? No. Lovely. So, 30th of May, 1997, live from Augusta Civic Center in Augusta, Georgia, it's UFC 13, Ultimate Force. Our hosts are Bruce Beck and Jeff Blatnick. They run down the format of the show. As Tom said, we've got two uh, four-man tournaments, one in the lightweight division and one in the heavyweight division, with the main event as a super fight between Vitor Belfort and Tank Abbott. Uh, the fight formats are a 12-minute initial round and a potential three-minute overtime in the semifinals. And in the finals, we have a 15-minute round and a three-minute overtime period. Two three-minute overtime periods in both the tournament finals and the super fight. Um, Tom's already run through the uh, alternate bouts, so we might as well kick things off with the lightweight tournament. So over to you, Bob, to introduce the fighters for our first semi-final. Yes, Christoph Leninger enters the fight with a 0-1 UFC record after his loss to Ken Shamrock at UFC, but has a, a UFC three, but has a three and one overall MMA record. The 37-year-old former US Olympic judo team alternate weighed in at 200 pounds. His opponent, Guy Metzger, enters the fight with a 2-0 UFC record after wins at both. UFC UFC 4 and 5. He has extensive MMA experience fighting in Pancras and has an overall record of 11 wins, 5 losses and 2 draws. Submission fighter weighed in at £198. And uh, we have Bruce Buffer. Bruce Buffer is back doing the uh, ring announcing for this show. He runs through the formal introductions, during which the camera pans over a sign for a particular length of time. Uh, this sign reads in the crowd, Shamrock is a sellout, in reference to his WWF debut, I assume. Uh, Big John McCarthy gets this underway, and Metzger presses forward early, looking to strike. He grabs Leninger by the gi, holding him as he hands some short, lands some short punches. Leninger tries to land some of his own, and grabs Metzger's trunks, stretching them forward. They clinch against the cage for a while before Leninger pulls guard. Metzger quickly passes into half guard and lands a few short punches before standing and allowing Leninger back up. They're exchanging the clinch once more before Leninger is able to trip Metzger, who immediately pops back up. They're back in the clinch, with Metzger again holding the gi, until Leninger once again pulls guard. Metzger is able to flip right through and lands into... The mount, which is a pretty awesome spot. Metzger quickly reverses back and end in, ends again in Leninger's guard. Metzger drives the action back towards the fence, intermittently throwing some short punches. The action then slows down for a while to the extent that Big John stands them up. We're eight minutes in. Metzger begins throwing some low kicks. Leninger absorbs them, not doing much and looking tired. Metzger then lands a nice head kick, which lands flush. After a brief period of circling, they clinch again before Leninger pulls guard once more, passes and throws a few short strikes. They stand just before the 12-minute regulation time comes to a close and the crowd boo loudly. Overtime starts, Metzger goes back to the leg kicks from range. They clinch again and Leninger is able to land his best strikes of the fight so far in the clinch. Metzger responds, getting a front head block and landing some knees to the head. They drop to the mat in Leninger's guard against the cage, and Metzger throws some left hands. Metzger brings the fight to a close by landing the most significant strikes of the fight. 
on the floor, landing two hard knees to the face. And with that, we've reached our 15-minute time limit. We go to the judges with Metzger picking up the unanimous decision victory. Uh, go to you first, Tom. Uh, thoughts on this opening fight? So, as we alluded to uh, earlier, this is the only match that goes any distance. And the irony of that statement for me is that it's the only one that I wish didn't. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think it's a terrible fight. There was just a lot about it that I didn't like um, in terms of the way that, that, that the way that uh, Lenniger was approaching it. He never really seemed very comfortable in the fight for me. Um, and also, I, I just kept ho- hoping and wishing that Mezger was going to finish it because it went on and on when Lenniger was never really a threat. He never really threatened any offense of any caliber that you would think, okay, he's, he, he's doing enough damage here to lead into a sequence where he can end it or even present a, da- a, a, a you know, danger um, for, for Mezger. Mezger was impressive. I thought that the, um, the Guy is, is clearly at this stage, I mean, how anyone at this stage thinks going out wearing a Guy in an MMA fight is a good idea is totally beyond me. Uh, and, and, and that whole thing with Leninger grabbing Mezger's um, tights, let's call them, or trunks, as the commentators referred to them as, was absolutely ridiculous. It was like he was trying to do death by wedgie. It, it was really silly, and um, uh, but it's legal. And, you know, without standardising all of the, the gear that the fighters come out to wear, this sort of thing is going to happen. Um, but, you know, Leniger had some good defence. He, he did well to last as long as he did, but Mezger was too phys- physically too strong, um, you know, dictated on the ground. Uh, some nice head kicks in there from Mezger. Good, good strikes. Not not enough power in them again, though, to actually ever look like he was going to end the fight. Uh, and the accuracy wasn't brilliant either. He was throwing a lot and missing a lot. Um, but he, he did clearly enough to for this fight to have been ended halfway through, quarter of the way through, or when it finished, and, and to pick up pick up the win. Um, and the crowd booing when when it was stopped again is ridiculous. I don't know why crowds do that. It's so disrespectful. Um, to the blokes in, in there who are absolutely, you know, putting, putting their lives on the line for these people and they're booing them, but you know, they, they're entitled to do what they like, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I had it clearly for Mezger on points and, um, I was, I was quite pleased when it was, when it was all over, to be honest with you, because it, it, it never looked like it was going in any other direction. Uh, Bob, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, one thing they said about this was by far the most rowdy crowd that we'd had at the UFC so previously, a lot of, uh, um, a lot of alcohol being sold, and, uh, and probably the UFC show with the, the the most stuff and potential scuffles going on in the crowd. So they were they were vocal for most of the night, which is largely a positive. Uh, yeah, this wasn't a great fight. It was okay. There was yeah, it wasn't. I, I've seen 15 minute matches in UFC that we've covered drag more than this, um, and there was enough going on. It wasn't like there was any prolonged periods on the ground or anything like that. It didn't feel like it. Um, but yeah, it was a fight where you felt like both. Both guys struggled, but not in a way that inherently suggests that it was because of the other guy's defence, more because it was a case of neither guy really had the, the offence getting through. Now, we'll see with Mexico later on that that probably isn't true, but I don't think he showed that here. Um, as Tom says, I, I cannot believe we're, we're in 1997 and people still think wearing geese is a good idea. Um, Gary Goodridge got away with it, but in, in boiling hot temperatures last year, I can't imagine that that's one, you know, the one thing we saw with Leninger was the more the fight went on, the more he was trying to basically take the thing off or at least open it up to get some, to get some air and try and cool himself down. Um, and Metzger used that as a weapon and Leninger responded with, 
grabbing on the hold of the trunks and I I kind of wish that there would be a, a USC match in the history books that says winner by submission wedgie Gimetska, but that uh, or, or Leninger, but that never happened. Um, but yeah, decent fight, no better than that, and I, I think the right guy won. Yeah, uh, free for free, really. It was an okay fight. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go any more than that. Uh, Leninger was very defensive. I think Tom, you alluded to, he didn't never really. Not even it wasn't that Metzger forced him back, but he never began to get on the front foot in the fight. He never it was he was never proactive with any of his movements, any of his strikes. Always very reactive, and Metzger was very comfortable. He, he didn't really ever look like getting the finish, but it just sort of a, a comfortably floated across the 15 minutes. I mean, it, it, it probably makes it sound like a really bad fight. It wasn't. It was fine. It's just. I never really felt like we were we were getting close to a finish at any point in it, but um, yeah, it was an okay start to the show. Yeah, Leniger. Just, no, I was just going to touch on you know to give Leniger some credit. I really do think he, he defended well, and there was there was one sequence he did in the middle part of the fight. It was it was a drop and roll where he fell to his back and he, he threw Mezinger over his back and then and, and then got on, in foot on full mount on top of him. But then Mezinger was just too strong and, and threw him off. But that was actually a really nice sequence. So the guy obviously does have skill but it looks like he's a long way away from being able to put it together in a way that works inside the octagon. Yeah, I, I, I mean, even that sequence, though, he, he like he, he dropped to his guard, like, pulled guard, like, in itself is a defensive manoeuvre. Like, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Like, yeah. His, his, his whole game, like, it was, I, I agree, like, a lot of credit, like, to, to roll through in that way and end up in the mount, but he, his, his whole game plan was very uh, reactive to the, uh, to the situation's, uh, that he found himself in. It, it was fine. I would probably sound too harsh on Leninger. Um, so we move on uh, with Joe Rogan interviewing Metzger backstage. He says that Leninger was tougher than he expected, but he knew he would have enough to advance. They joke about him needing new trunks for the finals. We uh, move to our second semi-final. So once again, over to you, Bob, for the second lightweight fight semi. Yes, Ensign Inoue is seen here making his USC debut but has a 6-2 and two MMA record. The 30-year-old shoot fighter known for his grappling submissions weighed in at 199 pounds. His opponent, Royce Alga, seen here making his MMA debut is a student wrestler of uh, Dan Gable, 32-year-old freestyle wrestler that weighed in at 200 pounds. They also described him as the fighting farmer, uh, which sounded so very much like out of WWF in 1994. Um... <laughs> But, uh, but but other than that, thankfully no more comparisons, no straw hats, no uh, coming out with a bay, a piece of uh, hay in his mouth or anything like that. Or, but or, I, or walking out with Sonny behind him or anything like that. Yeah, anything like that. But yes, back to you, Chris. Uh, in his uh, pre-fight hype video, Inouye talked about how he felt how, uh, Olga was uh, clueless about submissions. Uh, Bruce Buffer and John McCarthy run through their procedures and get the fight underway. Olga shoots in for the takedown straight away, but Inoue sprawls back and spins into the crucifix position. Olga is able to escape uh, into uh, Inoue's half guard, but Inoue is able to attain full guard pretty quickly. Olga begins to land some punches from the top, but Inoue answers back with some stiff strikes of his own from the bottom. Olga get, then gets caught in the textbook position for the armbar, and Inoue locks it in pretty quickly. Olga tries to lift Inoue off the ground, but in, is unable to do so and instead collapses forward onto his stomach and swiftly taps out after just 1 minute and 36 seconds. Uh, Bob, we'll come to you first on this one. What are your thoughts on this fight? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've never been a, I've never been a fighter of any kind. I, I never plan on being one either. But if I was in a, a standing mount with my arm in a compromising position, I don't know that my, or I hope that my instinct wouldn't be to try and deadlift the guy and therefore open up my arm for a, a potential arm submission. I mean, it was a. An incredible piece of strength to be able to, you know, just about lift the lift Inoue off the floor, and he basically dropped him on his head. Um, but given that Inoue was going after the arm, my inclination would have been to to fight into the arm bar, not try and pull out of it, because pull out of it opened up his arm for the eventual arm lock. Um, but yeah, very impressive from Inoue, who had to fight out of a lot of negative positions early on for a fantastic finish. Yeah, uh, but uh, Tom, over to you. Yeah, this was uh, really impressive, actually, for from Inoue, for the time that it ran, only just a minute and a half. Um, it, it really demonstrates a, a huge part, for me, of the evolution of MMA and, and of UFC, as we're covering, in that if you haven't got all the boxes ticked in terms of MMA and the different disciplines, you are going to come across people that can beat you with very little that you can do about it. Um, you know, if, if you can, if you're, if you're skilled with submissions and your opponent isn't, you can beat them. All you've got to do is find yourself in the right position and let them, you know, all it's going to take is a, as you guys alluded to, a, a, a situation where they don't make the best decision and they open up a limb or, or, or leave their chin or whatever it is, uh, and you can take advantage of it. And, and this, you know, this, this fight started really quickly and, um, Alga found himself on, on, on top. Um, but, you know, I was really impressed with Inoue's ability to keep composure and, and you know, submission beat wrestling in, in this one. And that's not to say that submission is more important than wrestling, uh, but wrestling gets it to the ground, but submission, more often than not, finishes the fight um, in, in situations like this. So, I mean, Alga, when he was, on the, when he was there, though, when he was on top, he didn't know what to do. He, he just looked like he didn't know how to finish the fight. And it was almost like he needed someone to say to him, what do I do now, boss? Like, you know, where, where, where do I go from here? So, again, we're talking about the evolution of the sport. We're talking about the evolution of fighters becoming more rounded uh, as these things go on. Um, but, no, this is a really good demonstration of submission ability and how it can win you fights, literally. So, yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah, it was a good uh, showing for Inoue. And it seemed like he was right about Alga's uh, submission knowledge, really. Um a really short but exciting fight, and it was a, a good change of pace after the opening fight seemed to plod along, really. Um, yeah, um, he, he clearly an excellent submission practitioner, uh, but it was impressive from uh, Olga to uh, attempt the deadlift, I think. Not, not not impressive in terms of the right decision, but the, the strength involved was certainly impressive. So, yeah, I was uh, pleasantly surprised with this fight, and it was a much-needed change of pace with the uh, show. We cut backstage and Joe Rogan is interviewing Inoue. Uh, he says it was a very tough fight and Rogan asks how he feels going into the final. Inoue says he has a lot of adrenaline flowing through his body right now and wants to go back to his locker room and lie down. Next up, we have a Tank Abbott video package looking back at his UFC career so far. For the first time from the UFC officially, we see a focus on the incident at UFC 8 in Puerto Rico for which Tank was suspended. It is noted that the man Abbott brawled with in Puerto Rico, Alan Goez, is now one of Vitor Belfort's training partners, which is an interesting side note for the super fight. Uh, now we move up to our heavyweight division with our semi-finals, so once again over to you, Bob. 
Semi-final number one, Dimitri Stefanov, seeing him make his MMA debut as the Muay Thai fighter of the 29-year-old waiting at £217. His opponent, Stephen Graham, has a 1-0 MMA record. We, we probably should have called him Stephen Graham, given that he's in America, but I'm not sure he brings himself to do it. Uh, he's also making his UFC debut. Bill's an extension fighter, Graham waiting at £290. Uh, just as a side note, before we get into the fight, I, I just want to say that Steve 3D Graham has the absolute look of a star. I thought at six one two ninety, and just he just looked like a beast. And at only twenty three years old, like I'm, I'm, I'm surprised and disappointed to to not have heard of the guy and can't really find anything about the guy outside of of this event. I have no idea what happened to him afterwards. But yeah, I, I, thought, t- I totally Steve, agree, Chris. I thought the same thing. 3D Graham was just fantastic. I think the commentators I mentioned later in, in the final what what the 3D stood for, but I thought the guy looked like a, a million dollars, so uh, it's just a shame, as a little side note. Anyway, uh, we get underway in the heavyweight semi-finals. Uh, Graham gets a ferocious body slam into side mount immediately. Agile as he closed in for that and showed serious power getting the takedown. Graham controls him on the ground comfortably, Traps Stepanov's arm and works for a key lock. It slowly grinds him down and eventually gets it for the submission victory after just one minute and 30 seconds. Uh, Tom, I'll throw to you for this one uh, first. What were your thoughts on the first heavyweight semi-final? Yeah, I mean, this Stephen Graham, fuck me. Impressive dude. Like, just as you say, as as when he was walking out, uh, I thought to myself, okay, this guy is known as a striker and he looks like he's built like a wrestler. So that's not a good start. And, you know, this again, the weight classes do play a part here for me. Graham had 73 pounds on Stepanov, which, you know, we, we saw the David and Goliath uh, event before, and, and there, are instant, you know, there, there are fights where it's not as big of a deal as it, as it could be or as it should be on paper. But in this fight, you know, Graham came in really quickly. He's light on his feet, massive takedown, and he just absolutely smothered Stepanov. Uh, and just took him to school. There was never, it, it was never going any other way. And really, I'm, I'm surprised it lasted as long as it did, um, in a minute and a half. Uh, and, and as, again, Chris, as you alluded to, I'm, I'm really surprised. Um, I'm, I'm not really disappointed because obviously I'm sure there were good reasons for it. I'm really surprised that he didn't go on to bigger and better things because the guy is built like a brick shit house and he's talented. He's, he's, as I said, he's quick on his feet. He's agile. He looks like a guy who could immediately step into the world of pro wrestling and be a superstar. Um, so it, it's it's an interesting one, and it's one that I'm going to look a bit more into actually um, as 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 we go forward. But uh, no, very impressive, and he's only 23 years old. So geez, Louise. I mean, even to add to that, in his little pre-fight montage, it, I, I mean, he didn't say much of note. It was, it was like otherwise I would have, have jotted it down. I can't remember what he exactly said, but his delivery was good as well. Like even that impressed me. Everything about the guy looked 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 great. Um, I, I thought he was made for pro wrestling personally. Uh, but Bob, over to you with your thoughts on this fight. Yeah, ridiculously impressive, wasn't it? I mean, there's nothing that will quite prop a crowd like a, a big giant slam like that. And once he got him down, I, mean, I imagine if you're a, you get a slam like that, it just knocks all the wind out of you. And then Graham just got on top and, you know, did his work. I'm, I'm trying to find any information about him at all. Um, but it seems like this is it. It seems like his, his MMA record, I'm on his shirt old profile now, was one and two, or sorry, two and one, I should say. Um, 
and the other win being a show in November 96 that he loses to Couture later on and, and doesn't seem to fight again and I, I can't seem to find any record of him doing anything since um, so yeah a little bit of surprise on that but from from yeah you're right I think with everything you say visually very impressive good talker good look um, and a fantastic performance in this opening round yeah I mean he impressed me with his walkout and he backed it up in the fight total squash really slam was excellent um, and surprised to hear that he just sort of fell off the radar. Like I'm sure, I'm sure there's a good reason for it, as Tom says. But surprised, and it's a bit of a shame. But this was a really, really good uh, performance from Graham, uh, and he was excellent. Uh, like couldn't couldn't praise the guy highly enough after this showing. Like just just, um, just to say, I was just thinking. Like, I was looking at him, and I was thinking you could immediately imagine him being inserted as the third brother in Harlem Heat. And he, he wouldn't even question it. He, he fits the bill completely. I'm really, I'm, re- I'm just having a look as well. I'm really surprised. I'm really, it's, re- it's really quite, quite shocking to, 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 to not find anything on the guy. It's a mystery. And, and like after a good performance as well, like we've covered a lot of guys on here who uh, anything about them, they get beat and then they go home, and that was their only fight. We never see him again. No record of them. But this guy won this fight so impressively. Good talker, good look. We said it all. I mean, I'm just repeating ourselves, but he had everything really. Uh, the performance backed it up, and uh, not like maybe he didn't want to carry on fighting, but you would have thought pro wrestling would have been such a natural calling for him. And, and you're right, I'm, it is a shame. It is a shame. But so I might as well throw back to you, Bob, straight into our second heavyweight semi-final. Yes, so final number two, Randy Couture, seen here making his MMA debut, just on three weeks' notice, is a three-time national Greco-Roman wrestling champion. The UFC legend would go on to become the first of only three men to hold UFC championships in two different weight divisions. 33-year-old weighted at 225 pounds. His opponent, Tony Halame, is listed as a shoot fighter, probably best known to listeners as Ludwig Borger, who appeared earlier on in our timeline in the WWF in 1993 and 1994. 27-year-old from Finland, weighed in at 300 pounds. Uh, as Halmo is walking to the octagon, the announcers highlight how Couture has been competing all of his life. But in reference to Halmo, who they reference that he was a professional wrestler, uh, the announcers say, but as we all know, the WWF is not a competition. Uh, I thought that might have been like a shot towards Ken Shamrock, but Bob, you said there was something... In well, the, I think formerly that bit. I don't think that was a shot. I think that was just more context. Like you know, if if, if you're watching and you don't know what the WWF is, um, you know, to to point out he was a wrestler. If you're someone who's like new to combat sports, a wrestler means something that pro wrestling doesn't. Um, so yeah, I think that was just clarification more than anything else. But the story surrounding Shamrock was that they'd basically agreed that they wouldn't criticise Shamrock publicly. I'm not saying they held those views, but that was basically the viewpoint was that they wouldn't call him out on it if there was anyone that, that had any negative feelings towards him. But I don't think this was related. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, and while looking up uh, Tony Hammer, I uh, it was noticed some other things he'd done in his life. Um, he's such an interesting guy. Uh, he passed away uh, a few years back. But um, as well as performing in the WWF and fighting in the UFC here, he was a member of the Finnish version of the game show Gladiators. He was also in Die Hard with a Vengeance in 1995 and was actually a member of the Finnish parliament from 2003 to 2007. So <laughs> You what? Um, so quite a uh, storied career for 
Ludwig Borger here. Tom, Tom, help me out, but didn't Ludwig Borger run on a, like, when he was in the WWF, wasn't he all, like, anti-environment and stuff like that? Am I imagining that? I know he was anti-America. I don't remember the anti-environment part of it. Yeah, like, he was running down America's, like, you know, attitude towards the climate or something like that. Ah, yeah, rings a bell, actually, in his promos. Yeah, I remember him him touching on it. Yeah, I don't think it was, you know, it wasn't the staple of his character, but it was part of it. So maybe that's linked, yeah. I mean, it's a storied career. He was using the, the WWF world to get across his political viewpoints, and uh, wow, what what an interesting guy! Yeah, put them into practice in the actual Finnish Parliament for four years. So yeah, I thought it was an impressive little side note. And also, he was in Gladiators, just because you know, if you if you if you don't if you if you can't get the shit going in politics, you're going to go to Gladiators. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought it was like amazing, an amazing CV for the bloke. Um, yeah, anyway, Bruce Brother uh, runs through the introductions, and at this point, the announcers plug his recent appearance on Friends. Uh, Nick says, it's the amateur wrestler against the pro wrestler as we get things underway. Howard comes out charging, but Couture ducks a punch and gets a quick double, double leg takedown into side mount. Looking for some sort of neck crank, Couture gets free, controls position from the top before landing a hard left-hand strike. Helmer rolls onto his front and Couture takes his back, getting both hooks in. He locks on a rear naked choke for the tap-out victory on exactly one minute. Uh, Bob, I'll come to you first for this one. What did you make of the quick and easy debut for Randy Couture? Yeah, I mean, we talk about pro wrestling, but the, the, the takedown by Couture was almost a spear. I mean, Helmer came in so quickly, Couture just shot, ended up kind of taking him out. Uh, very, very impressive. Helmer cleared the bigger guy. Um, and Couture got in the right position and just got the choke in. And you know, I, I, we you know we know how good Randy Couture is. So I don't necessarily criticism Halamay, but um, I, I thought a very impressive outing for for any time a guy that can beat someone that's significantly outsizing them and in such a decisive way. Um, very very good, very good debut for Couture. Uh, Tom, your thoughts. Yeah, I'd agree on the for, for all of that. It's interesting when you look at the the weight difference here. It was seventy five pounds that Helm had on Couture, which is very very similar to the seventy three pounds that Graham had on uh, Stepanov. And you can see how it can work in both ways here. Uh, Couture so impressive. I mean, we we obviously had the, the pleasure of um, Peter Belfort's debut last time, and this is one where you look at and you go, he's a different fighter. He's uh, obviously a, a pedigree above a lot of the other guys that we see fighting. Um, he his movement on the ground was just oh I was drooling the way he was the way he was switching his his movement on the ground just rolling on his back going from going from side to full mount to reverse like taking the back like you just got the impression that he, he could have ended it whenever he liked um, and yeah takedown at the start he's obviously he's obviously got the, the 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 composure and the strength to to land a good takedown we didn't see much in terms of his striking power so you know that's 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 a question. You know, obviously, we don't have enough to, to, to at this point to know either way whether it's a good, you know, if he if he's got that 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 skill or not. But um, yeah, took his back, got the choke, excellent composure, just held it. Looks, he looks like a guy who's been fighting for ten years rather than a guy that's making his debut, and that's a scary, scary thing. So yeah, very impressive. Yeah, the, the legend begins. Uh, an incredible debut for Couture here against a, a much larger guy, as you say, Tom. I, I had in my notes that um, that that uh, debut for Halmer went about as well as it did for Bam Bam Bigelow last year. 
And then I was thinking about like pro wrestlers in in MMA, and it, and then I I clocked that the way he uh, sort of charged out from his corner of the octagon across the octagon in a straight CM line, Punk. Mi- exactly like CM Punk. It was That's the same sequence. Yeah, I, 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 like it was exactly the same as CM Punk, Mickey Gall, um, and Randy Couture. Like he just sort of charged across the octagon and immediately got taken down. And as you say, Randy Couture could have done whatever he liked with him on the ground. He was in complete control um, at all times. Uh, a really, really impressive debut. Um, and has his other skills developed? Like, we don't know how his striking is at this stage, like you say, but as, he, as his other skills develop, I mean, his, his wrestling is going to get him a long way at this stage of his MMA career. So... It's it's a it's exciting to be able to go back and watch the evolution of him as a fighter from the very beginning. Him as an MMA MMA fighter from the very beginning. Anything else on that fight, or should we carry on? Oh, let's go. Go on. Uh, we have a Joe Rogan interviewing Randy Couture backstage. He says that he he felt going in that mobility would always be a big factor. We then cut away and have a UFC flashback to UFC 7, which was our very first MMA podcast, which highlights uh, Marco Ru- Rujas uh, defeating ECW shoot fighter Paul Valens. It's a good job Marco Rujas never returns, because you're never going to get his name right, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's going to be... I might call him Marco from now on. Just call him Marco, Marco Van Basten. <laughs> Um, and the announcers screaming, uh, down goes Varlands, when uh, Marco was finally able to chop him down with those leg kicks is, is one of my highlights of, of this entire timeline. Um, that call was that call on that fight was pretty amazing. That transitioned straight into the Boys from Brazil video package, which follows the lineage of Brazilians in the UFC, from Royce Gracie to uh, Marco himself, and now to Vitor Belfort. We cut backstage again, and Joe Rogan then informs us that Ensign Inoue is out of the lightweight tournament finals due to an injury citing vision problems. Tito Ortiz, the winner of the earlier alternate bout, is in for the final. Uh, with the delay, they decide to show us the full alternate bout, so might as well review that. So, Bob, over to you with the introductions for this. Yeah, they, they may well have planned to show it anyway. It's possible, given that it was just a, a filler between the semis and the final, but it, it, it tied in quite nicely. But here we go. So, where's Albrighton? See him here in his one and only MMA fight as a black belt in Kempo Karate and weighs in at 190 pounds. Tito Ortiz, another modern-day MMA legend, is seen here making his MMA debut, built as a street fighter and tank Abbott's training partner. The 22-year-old collegiate wrestler weighed in at 200 pounds. And interesting, I think they only made note of this during the actual live match later on Ortiz here fighting as an amateur um, still at um, college they, they reference his college later on as well so that was a, another thing of note yeah and I think they said as a, as a consequence of fighting as an amateur he was fighting completely for free on in throughout the whole night which I thought was interesting and brave of, of the guy uh, I thought it was interesting that despite their age differences I know USC is still relatively young but I thought it was interesting that Tito and uh, Randy Couture, aged uh, 22 and 33, respectively, both made their MMA debuts on the same show. I thought that was a, an interesting side note. Um, our referee for uh, this alternate bout is Joe Hamilton, and I think this is the first time I've seen a fight not refereed by Big John McCarthy in doing this show. Uh, he gets us underway. All Britain comes forward. 
to open the action, but Tito grabs the double underhooks and gets a quick takedown. Ortiz lands a brutal flurry of punches, elbows. He gets full mount, begins to look, throw more elbows, left hands, and hammer fists, and all Britain's corner throw in the towel after just 31 seconds. Uh, Tom, go to you on this one. What were your thoughts on that fight? Poor Wes Alberton. This didn't go too well for him, did it? I mean, there isn't really a lot to review about this fight because it was over in 30 seconds and Ortiz absolutely mauled him. Um, elbows, punches, uh, just smashed him up. Really, really smashed him up. Didn't, didn't ever, ever get, you know, 30 seconds isn't enough time to even try and move off your back uh, and, and, and the towel came in that's an interesting one when that happened before we watched this event I just it's just coincidence I thought to myself how many how many fights have we seen where the towel's been thrown in and I don't remember seeing one do you, either of you guys remember us watching a fight in this UFC stuff where a towel's been thrown in maybe something but yeah I mean his corner obviously was just like gee we've got, let's just save him the pain like just, uh, it's one of those things. Again, I, I'm gonna, I'll cover this in my review of the show, but it's another example for me where the, the level of class of fighter is just so substantial in some instances, and it's just, a, I almost, almost felt a bit sorry for Aubrey. Uh, I know he's getting paid, but God, jeez Louise, he got the shit kicked out of him. But yeah, not a lot else to say about that one. It was very impressive. Bob, over to you. Yeah, we speak about having a a, a referee of the big John McCarthy. This fight went way too long. Um, like there was a, you know, LT starts unloading punches, and there was about about three or four seconds later, I'm like, God, this has got to stop. This has really got to stop. And the fight went another five or six seconds, just in raining down. The ref didn't even stop it then. It was only when the corner threw in the towel. I don't know quite what he was waiting for. Uh, but yeah, highly impressive from Ortiz. Um, a, a bit of a you know, quote unquote squash victory, kind of alluded to himself, uh, alluded to him. Eluded it off. Um, afterwards, an interview with Joe Rogan, like, you know, he knew that was going to be easy competition, and boy, did he show it. Yeah, he, he certainly did. An excellent debut. Um, we obviously don't know much about All Britain and his abilities on the ground, but, I mean, it didn't seem like he had many, or it seemed like Tito Ortiz had a lot at 22 years of age. Um, it was some ferocious ground and pound, uh, which would, for me, only be comparable to what we've seen uh, Mark Coleman do at this stage. Uh, Ortiz looked like an animal. Not not much else to say about this one. Um, just a very impressive, dominant debut victory for Ortiz. Uh, we cut back to our regular show, and we are ready for our lightweight finals. So once again, Bob, over to you. Guy Metzger enters the UFC with a 3-0 record and an overall MMA record of 12 wins, 5 losses and 2 draws. Submission fighter weighs in at £198. His opponent, Tito Ortiz, now enters with a 1-0 UFC record after his alternate bout victory earlier in the night. He weighs in at £200. Uh, as Ortiz is coming to the ring, I noted that he definitely has an aura about him and he's over with the crowd in a really big way. I don't know, just after his performance earlier in the night. Uh, Big John McCarthy gets the finals underway. Ortiz comes out the more aggressive, throws some heavy punches early. Metzger shoots for the single leg, but Tito sprawls, elbowing Metzger in the back and securing a front face lock. Tito lands some knees to the head, maintaining the front face lock but and grabbing Metzger's leg for even more control. After a few more brutal-looking knees, it seems like Metzger may have tapped out and the announcers certainly call it that way. 
but the action continues. Suddenly, McCarthy comes flying in to separate them after one minute and six seconds, and the crowd pop big, as if this is the finish. Turns out the stoppage was actually to check the cut that had opened on Metzger's head. McCarthy can be heard telling someone that Metzger definitely did not tap, and he was just trying to block the knees. Replays show that there's no controversy whatsoever. Metzger definitely didn't tap. So great call by Big John, because uh, in real time, I like when the announcers called it, I certainly thought it looked like a hint of one, but when they slowed it down on the replay, there was, there was no controversy for me whatsoever. The action restarts, and after a brief standing, uh, standing striking exchange, Ortiz shoots for the takedown. He leaves his head up, and Metzger is able to secure the guillotine and to pull guard. He locks it in tight, and Tito Ortiz taps out after three minutes to crown Metzger the UFC 13 lightweight tournament winner. Tom, uh, thoughts on the lightweight finals? This was a very, very interesting fight um, for the three minutes that it lasted. There was a real story to be told here, and I, I've got to say, I've got, I've got beef with this with this result. I, I, I think that in a way, John McCarthy gave the gave the fight to Mezga. Um, you know, Ortiz Ortiz was very good on his feet. He he shouldn't he shouldn't have taken it to the ground. That was a big mistake on his part, I think, and he and he, he suffered from it, but. You know, it's live sport. This happens in every sport. There are calls that are made. The crowd think one thing, the commentators think another, and the referee uh, has his own opinion. And I personally didn't see the tap, so I, I was I was a bit confused as to what they were talking about. When they showed the replay, I thought, Christ, how did I miss that? Um, I, I'm not entirely sure that the fight should have been stopped for the cut because when the fight was stopped, I think Ortiz was, was going to win. I think if it had gone an extra 10 seconds, he would have he would have done it. Um he was all over him, uh, and yeah, it was it was a nasty cut. And then it turned out that he had two on his head, so they probably should have stopped it. But then when it came back in, it, it threw Ortiz off his off his game plan. Um, it, it, he never he di- he didn't get back into the swing of things in time. Uh, and after the result was was cool, you know, when it, when he tapped and it was cool, you could see that Ortiz was furious, storming around and and making a quite rightly, in my opinion, making a scene. Um, but he made a mistake. He shouldn't have taken it to the ground. It, that wasn't where he was. That wasn't where he was winning the fight. Uh, and Mezga, uh, you know, controversially, in my opinion, goes through. Uh, got got the win. Um, but it, it was a really interesting fight. And, and considering it only lasted three minutes, a lot happened in those three minutes. What I thought was interesting, I, I, I agree with you completely on the controversial aspect of how unlucky Ortiz was to have the fight stopped to check the cut. Um, and like in in a position, Metzger was very, very, very vulnerable and absorbing strikes. And the fight was stopped to check the cut. And obviously, the fight restarts, and both guys are just on their feet again. And, and from that position, he lost the fight. I thought that was very controversial. I agree with you. If the fight had not been stopped for the cut, then Ortiz would have probably got the victory quite quickly. I don't. Yeah, but I do. There was no controversy. I think you agreed. I'm not sure if you agreed, but I didn't think there was any controversy in particular with the. The phantom tap, as it were. Well, I didn't see it, but when they showed it on the replay, it was a, it was a, a, br- a, a brilliant call from from John McCarthy. Actually, really, really good. Yeah, yeah you yeah. could easily have called that as a tap, and that would have caused the right shitstorm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Bob, sorry, uh, over to you with your thoughts on that one. Yeah, um, I, I don't think there was anything to the the tap. I mean, I, I think the the proof for the fact he didn't was that if he'd have tapped and the fight had carried on, he would have just kept tapping, and he didn't. I mean, he was clearly trying to either, well, McCarthy blocked her. I also tried, got the feeling he was trying to kind of shift his, his weight around as well. 
Oh, so I don't think there's anything to that. As for the stop eater, I don't think it was quite as controversial as you guys did. I mean, he had a, a couple of quite significant on the side of his head. Um, and I think McCarthy's entitled to stop that, to stop the fight to get those checked out. Um, you know, I mean, admittedly, Ortiz was in a very good position at the time. Um, but I, I don't think Ortiz was unlucky. Like, you know, it was a... It was a fresh restart. He had time to, you know, get some water, relax, compose himself, etc., etc. And then he just got caught. And I think the... I, Tom, I think you read it differently to me. I, I saw Ortiz's frustration after he lost more to the fact he got caught in such a relatively obvious position more than I saw it as Ortiz being fucked off that he'd had a, a win taken away from him by... Um, by the referee, and that's how I saw it. Um, but I thought fair play to Metzger, who, who you know, wore a barrage of blows, and then caught Ortiz in a in a really good submission at the end. You know, regardless of whether he got a little bit of luck, um, I, I, I give Metzger a lot of credit. Yeah, I agree with you, Bob. That was the same way I, I read Ortiz's reaction at the end, frustration in in himself and getting caught in that position. Um, and we know Metzger is very, very experienced fighting Pancrace. Um, and this was Ortiz's second ever MMA fight. So, I mean, he showed a lot of potential in his alternate bout and until the cut stoppage um, to show that at 22 years of age and as an amateur, he's got a hell of a lot of potential. And Metzger's a very, very experienced fighter. They're in different stages of their careers. And on this day, Ortiz maybe was a little sloppy and going for the takedown and Metzger was able to capitalise on it. Uh, I think um, both guys came out of this looking better, more over with me than they were heading into the fight. Um, Metzger did exceptionally well to turn his fortunes around and and take that opportunity when Ortiz presented it to himself and uh, come back and win this from a very precarious position. Um, Tom, would you have anything more to add or come um, back to anything we've said? No, it's interesting to hear what you guys just said. I think, yeah, perhaps I, I, I'm I'm the type of person that when I watch something like this, I I I'm swayed by my my emotions, and I was re- I, I I was really furious that Tito Ortiz wasn't given a chance to to finish the fight. And I think actually, in the way he reacted on retro, in looking looking back in in, uh, the, in from a different perspective, I think you're probably both right, actually. But I was just sort of storming around. I, I go out of my chair and I stormed the other side of the room and I came back and he was walking. I thought, oh, come on, Tito, let's not have this. So maybe it was just me. No, I, I, um, I do think he was unlucky in that the, the cuts were there. Like, like if, if that, that sounds rather silly, as, as his strikes had opened them up. But, I mean, without those cuts being there and the fight continuing, I do think he would have probably picked up a win here. But, I mean, that's just sometimes how it goes in sport. I think that there wasn't really... I don't think anyone did anything wrong here. Like, um, John probably got the call to, to stop the fight at, when he did right. Um, he, got, he certainly got the tap, which is a non-issue, really. But he certainly got that that correct. Um, I just think, all in all, both guys put in good performances here. I think Tito, I mean, obviously visibly frustrated in the immediate aftermath. I think when he looks back shortly on his performances at UFC 13, I think he, he could hold his head high fighting as a someone still in college and as an amateur. I thought he did really well here um, and like was on his way to certainly had the more dominant earlier exchange before the cut stoppage against a fighter much older and much more experienced than he is. 
So we cut away, and next up we have a, another Tank Abbott video package. This time he is pushed as the ultimate heel, a bully who doesn't care what other fighters or the fans think. Straight into our heavyweight tournament finals. Back to you, Bob. Yes, for our heavyweight final, Stephen 3D Graham has a 2-0 MMA record. The extension fighter weighed in at £290. His opponent, Randy Couture, enters this fight with a 1-0 MMA record after his victory earlier the night. 33-year-old weighs in at £225. And here in my notes is where I have what the 3D stand for. They stand for Doom, Destruction and Despair. This guy is just a pro wrestler waiting to happen. I mean, at 23 years of age. Um, also noted that Couture has a 65-pound weight disadvantage going into this one. The action begins with Couture getting a quick double leg into side mount. He transitions into the north-south position against the cage. Couture opens up with some hard right hands and Graham eventually gives up his back. Graham is able to block the choke attempt and flips through onto his back, rolls through into half guard. Very impressive, impressive manoeuvrability for a man of his size. Graham scrambles, looking to escape, but Couture is able to hold him in place. Couture gets back into north-south position and lands a brutal knee to the head. He transitions again, back into side mount, and lands some more punches. Couture spins into a front face lock and lands some hard knees from that position. Couture spins again, spinning behind, taking Graham's back, this time getting both of his hooks in and flattening Graham out. He ranged down with strikes to the back of Graham's head, and Big John McCarthy dives in after 3 minutes and 13 seconds, crowning Randy Couture the UFC 13 heavyweight tournament winner. Uh, Bob, thoughts on that fight? Yeah, once Couture got the takedown, I mean, it was a, an electric minute or so afterwards where they were just guys scrambling around. Uh, Graham was, was really, really mobile underneath trying to, to gain some position and in and, and being so mobile kind of blocked Couture really being able to get anything in. But the problem he had was that, you know, being mobile with a guy of Couture's weight on top of you means you expend a lot of energy. And, you know, do that for 90 seconds and then all of a sudden you've, all of a sudden you can't quite power out and Couture will just have to expend energy doing what I believe in amateur wrestling they kind of call just riding on top essentially just 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 waiting for for a guy to burn himself out and once he did that Couture just took over um and Graham just didn't really have a defense and and at that point it was only really one outcome Tom over to you yeah I, I think that Randy Couture is for me if, if I if I was in the world of MMA Randy Couture is the kind of guy that would be my least I, I, I would hate to fight a guy like Randy Couture because he comes flying at you and if you happen to make a mistake and you get on the ground he smothers you and he's got the wrestling background uh, to keep you down there and to not let you up and like Bob says a guy the size of Graham he's agile and he's quick but when when you've got that much you know that much weight on top of you. You, you can only you can only last so long before you start gassing. And um, I was I was just so impressed with uh, Couture here. Like a guy that again, 65 pounds heavier than him, he made it look easy. You know that double leg takedown at the start was really nice. Um, and it, oh, furious rights that he was that he was landing and, and immediately tried to go for the choke. He just he's out to kill this guy. He's out to kill. And um, I, I, I find it really interesting. One of the things that when I talk to people that don't like uh, or aren't into um, MMA. The way I try and describe it is, is it's like a chess match. It, it's it's like, and I suppose a lot of sports are like that, but this one in particular is really interesting to me because 
And as, as I said earlier, if you don't have the, the, the skills and the background in all of the required fields and you, you don't understand the different directions that a match or a game of chess can, can go in, then you're going to be vulnerable. And I'm thinking at this stage, who on the UFC roster, let's call it, can actually stand up and fight a guy like Randy Couture to a point where it's, when you look at it on paper, it could go either way. And someone I'm thinking of, a dream fight at this point, is Vita Belfort. Because just the thought of those two going at each other, uh, it just, just, just excites me. And I, and I think, you know, neither are particularly expert on the ground. Um, but they both, they both got the wrestling side of it as well. But I mean, Kasul's got, you know, got the better wrestling pedigree. But it was really, it was really good. It was, it, it was really impressive. And Graham just couldn't get off his back. Uh, again, beautiful ground movement from, from Randy. Uh, strikes and elbows. I mean, one of the commentators said it after, after the, the fight was, was called off when John stopped it. It was all too much. For, um, for Graham all too much and for me it was just another demonstration of, of you know wrestling um, when you've got wrestling class and you really really know your wrestling it's hard to fight that it really is hard to fight that and I know earlier it was fought by good submission but if you're really good with your wrestling you can hold it um, and prohibit and, and, and squeeze the energy out of your opponent to the point where they can't create anything so yeah so impressive from Randy Couture really good I think this was comfortably the best display of wrestling we've seen in the UFC up until this point. I mean, Mark Coleman is a, a supreme wrestler within his own right, um, but he's often the heavier guy. Um, and when he gets someone down, he pins them down. But you, obviously, he's wrestling's to an elite level. But you, you always think that that weight is obviously helpful to him. But once Graham was down, I mean, Couture is at a 65 pound deficit but was just always in complete control and I think the fight going 3 minutes and 13 seconds is just a credit to Graham able, able to survive that long on the ground of a wrestler like Couture the speed of his transitions were unbelievable and he, he's never stationary he's always active he's always looking for a better position he's always manoeuvring around his opponent um, he's a nightmare isn't he to fight and he's the, a nightmare to fight Where, what do you do with him yeah and he, as we all know, the best is yet to come with him, and like his other skills de- will develop over the years. And his wrestling's never going to go away. He's 33. He, he, he's this level of wrestler, and he's going to maintain that throughout his MMA career. Um, you mentioned a dream fight potentially would be uh, Couture and Belfort. I would have loved to see this Randy Couture right here against 1996 Mark Coleman. If that fight ever happened, I think that would have been an awesome fight because mm. Couture would have had the power to keep him down should he get him down but would he be able to get Coleman down is, is an entirely different matter I think that would be an awesome fight yeah I think the, the only thing there uh, would but, be that when you have two wrestlers against each other it can turn into a bit of a well, it's a wrestling match and, and, and a lot of other stuff can go out the window so when you've got sprinkles of other disciplines that for me can create some really interesting scenarios but that would be a great fight and I, I would pay a lot of money to watch it and as we all know with Vitor as well, he's obviously an excellent uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner as well. And that, that, that adds another dynamic on the ground with yeah, submissions absolutely. and things like that. Okay, yeah, so we cut away from uh, that fight and we get another UFC flashback, this time hyping the main event by looking at, at Tank Abbott at the Ultimate Ultimate 96 and Vitor Beltfort's debut from UFC 12. Those video packages, it is time for the introductions to our main event. So back to you, Bob. 
Yes, time for the super fight. Tank Abbott enters this fight with a 6-4 and four MMA record, coming off a loss to Don Fry at UFC Ultimate 1996. Competing in his fifth UFC, the pit fighter weighed in at £270. His opponent, Vitor Belfort, enters this fight with a 3-0 MMA record, coming off his UFC 12 heavyweight tournament victory. 220-year-old phenom weighs in at £215. I uh, wondered last time out if Abbott's disparaging, uh, disparaging comments about Vitor's boxing at UFC 12, uh, if he knew he was being lined up to face Belfort here. And they they, they really played that aspect up in, in with the sort of face-heel pro-wrestling dynamic. Um, Belfort always stayed respectful and maintained that respectful aura in his pre-fight promos. Abbott was constantly talking smack, only uh, how only he can, really. Um the crowd was really vocal, and the fight gets underway. Uh, we, as a side note, Abbott's obviously insanely popular, but there's also seemingly a uh, large uh, Brazilian contingent within the crowd. From the off, Abbott goes into a ducks a punch and looks for the takedown. He drives Abbott back against the cage, who goes down. Vitor looks for an arm, but Tank manages to scramble out, grabs an ankle, and trips Belfort onto his back. Abbott decides to stand off and let Vitor back to his feet. Vitor lands a stiff left hand before they clinch and trade body shots. Out of nowhere, uh, Vitor breaks off and opens up with his trademark machine gun punches that rock Abbott, eventually putting him down. That was some sensational hand speed. Tank covers up while lying on his stomach and Vitor gets behind him. Tank tries to roll away but is unable to do so and ends up flat on his front again. Vitor continues to punch away, and after 53 seconds of an exceptionally fast-paced fight, Big John McCarthy jumps in to declare Vitor the super fight winner. Uh, Tom, we'll go to your thoughts on this fight first. So we uh, mentioned earlier that this fight was built up very well, and uh, it really, really did feel like the... It felt like a, a main event, a big fight feel, but it also felt like the right main event, and I think because of the stuff we touched upon about the friends... Um, coverage of UFC and Tank Abbott being involved in that. If you happen to switch on to this pay-per-view as a result of watching Friends, I'm not sure if the timelines work like that, but it would make sense if they did, uh, and you saw Tank Abbott in the main event, you'd go, oh, it's that guy, right, okay. And it makes business sense, and I think on paper I liked the idea of the fight, but I knew that the Callop the quality of uh, Vitor Belfort and uh, just the, the 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 game and the speed and and everything that we've talked we talked about before. I did I I sort of knew that it would be too much for Tank, but you never know. And Tank hits like a brick, you know, like a like a like a truck. So it could have gone either way. But Vitor Belfort is. is He's just so quick. Like Tank threw a right at the start, and, v- and Vitor just ducked it. Literally a simple duck, and went in and shot with the takedown. Um, Tank, Tank actually, you know, was, I think he knew that, that something quick was coming because he was very quick to sh- try and shake him off and, and he, it was a nice escape and he tripped his, it was a single leg trip, um, uh, to, to get him off. And then, you know, Tank let him back up because Tank obviously knew the fight where, where if he was going to win the fight, it was going to be on the feet, which is amazing when you think of fighting a guy like Vita Belfort who punches, like you say, like a machine gun and you're actually welcoming him up onto his feet to do that. It's just crazy. Um, Belfort's like his stance, like the way he's got such a, a low center of gravity, where his feet are so far apart that if you try and take him down, you're really going to struggle because he, he's so he's so gripped to the ground that you really have to get underneath him somehow to lift him up. You almost have to lift his whole body up from from a, a, an even lower center of gravity to get him down anywhere. 
but he punches from that angle as well. So it's like you've got to get at him if you can get past his hands, and then you've got to get underneath him. So he's, he's again a nightmare, a nightmare to fight. Um, power, accuracy in his hands, crazy. Um, and you know the respect was shown after the fight from Tank, who we hear nothing but talking shit about. Everyone made an, a, a conscious effort of going in and shaking his hand. Um, and that's, that's respect. That, that's something that Tank, I don't think the company would have told Tank Abbott to do that. If they had, it would, he would have told him to fuck off. He's basically saying this guy is, is the real deal. Um, and yeah, just, just, it, it, it wasn't really, it wasn't given enough time to be a great fight, but, um, another very impressive display from Vita Belfort. Bob, your thoughts on this super fight? Yeah, um, I was intrigued, interested that, Belfort's first move was to go for a takedown. I wonder whether um, in their preparation his camp felt that Belfort might be better off on the ground, where Abbott is significantly weaker versus you know trading strikes with a guy who can you know hit you with one bomb and it's all over. Um, but clearly that didn't work. But you you watch what happened afterwards and you wonder why they were that scared. I mean, we got back to the feet um, and just Belfort's hands are so fast. I, I can't recall any other, you know, from, from a very limited sample size, I can't recall many other guys I've seen in MMA that have got hands as quick as Belfort's. And Abbott just couldn't handle it. I mean, you know, this, we, we talk about the, the various different ways. I mean, Abbott's record in MMA now is 6-5, and five, which for a guy who you know, maintains a status at this stage is one of the, the big draws on the company. He's not great. Um, but I don't know that we haven't seen him beaten so decisively. There was no outs here. There was no excuses. The guy just got pummeled. Um, and, and not for the last time, Vitor Belfort's quick hands are gonna, uh, see him win another match. But yeah, really good, really good main event. Um, Belfort continues to look great, and, and you look for, you look at him and you think, God, there's a lot of fights I want to see involving him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Tank will be, uh, on commentary criticizing Vitor's boxing anymore after this. It was a demolition. Um, I always find it interesting. It happened at UFC 12, but Vitor's entourage um, swarmed the octagon afterwards, and they're all chanting jujitsu. And I mean, we've seen him three put in three incredible UFC performances, three dominant wins. We haven't seen him use an ounce of his jujitsu yet, and he he is meant to be exceptional at Brazilian jujitsu. So, but on top of that, he's the best striker we've seen in the UFC up until this point. I mean, it's crazy uh how good this guy is at such a young age um you really see why people make such a big deal out of the old vitor and talking about how he changed as a fighter and got worse in many ways over the years um i mean even at this stage for his age and nationality like speaking in his second language a great promo thanking the fans for coming out it just seems so natural in this sport so natural in this octagon um everything about him is Impressive, everything about him's off the charts. Uh, he's a star, really. And I mean, he put someone like Tank Abbott to put him away in 53 seconds. As well, like, like that's how he won the fight with his, with his hand speed, and that's Tank Abbott's biggest attribute would be his 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 punching power, realistically. So, so impressive from Vitor, um, and a great main event to uh, end the show. So with that, that will do with our uh, that will do it for our review of USC 13. So we can move off, move on to our uh, end of show awards. So we've got uh, the fight of the night and the fighter of the night. 
that that for UFC 13, and then after that we'll move on, giving the show a score rating out of 10. So I'll, uh, we'll do fight of the night first. Uh, fight of the night, and we'll go to you, uh, Bob. That's an interesting one. I mean, you know, the as we alluded to, the opening match was the only match of any length, but but certainly wouldn't fit into that category. The rest of them were all very very short. Um, what to give fight of the night to here? That's interesting. Uh, I'll go with the main event. Um, I, I just you know. Couture's very, very impressive, and he might win my fight of the night, but Belfort's so good, and you know, we, we've seen a lot of Tank Abbott, but we haven't seen uh, Abbott taken apart quite like that before, and Belfort just looks different to anything else we've seen. You know, we haven't really seen, up until this point, uh, or certainly in, in the run of shows we've seen, a striker really dominate. You know, generally, it's guys that can dominate on the ground that have, that have succeeded so far. Um, certainly a really kind of consistent length of time. And Belfort's come in with fans, hands alike of which I've never seen. And it was just bamboozled guys that, that in theory would have gone in as, you know, favourites. So yeah, fight of the night, I'd go with Belfort and Abbott. Um, it was quick, it was decisive, and Belfort looked fantastic. Tom, your fight of the night. So I'm going to go with, um, and I'll give my reasons afterwards, I'm going to go with Mezga versus Ortiz as my fight of the night in the lightweight final. I um, I think that they're, obviously, as, as we've alluded to many times, that these, these are predominantly quick fights, um, and you can sort of pick and choose between them if you want to and say, well, I liked this about that one and, and what have you. And, and the problem with quick fights is, they don't, and as I said, they don't have enough time to evolve um, and to tell a, a, a story that's really worth remembering and talking about. You know, more than just it being impressive on one side. But this fight had a it had a really it had a really interesting story, and it's one that um, it just demonstrates the importance of referees and and the decision making that they make and the impacts that it can have on the fight. Um, and I think looking at the all the other fights, yeah, the main event was really was really impressive. Um, and it's 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 great to think where it's going to go from there. But you, I don't think I'd look back on that fight uh, with any particular memory. I, I think this is the fight that I'll remember from this pay per view, and that's why I'm picking it as fight of the night. It's the one that stands out for me. Well, I was I was torn between three really: the, the main event, uh, Metzger Ortiz, and Graham Couture to an extent as well. But I think for me, if you're talking about what you're going to remember, I think my lasting image of, of this show will be Vitor Belfort in the main event. So I'm going to have to side with Bob on this one and, and pick the main event. Why uh, just for, <laughs> well, I, I, Belfort with his is just at such a young age to be this good is off the scale impressive. And I mean, he's he's the best striker we've seen. And he's going in there with Tank Abbott, who is one of the best strikers we've seen and has potentially the most punching power. Um, mm. And to put him away on the feet within a minute uh, was just so impressive. So uh, officially, the fight of the night for UFC 13 for this podcast will be the main event, the Super Fight, uh, Vitor Belfort versus Tank Abbott. So we move swiftly into our fighter of the night. I'll come to you first on your fighter of the night for UFC 13. Yeah, so this is a two-horse race for me, and, and I was humming and hawing between um, Vita Belfort and Randy Couture. And I think for the sole reason that this is the first time we saw him, I'm going to go with, with Randy Couture, because Belfort 
smashed his way literally through the the competition in the in the in the last um, in his debut and the last time we saw him, he did the same thing here. Um, but what I what I would say is that he didn't, other than the fact he beat Tank Abbott in a minute, he didn't show me anything that I hadn't seen already. And that's not to say that it wasn't enormously impressive. But as you again, as you said, Chris, the jujitsu skills that he's got, he didn't get a chance to show them. And I think when he does will really see the all-round fire that he is. Because at the moment, he just looks like a punching machine and a very dangerous one and a very skilled one. Um, but for me, Couture showed excellent ground game. His composure, he, he shows composure where I, I haven't seen that level of composure or that need for composure from Vita Belfort because he's just smacking people up. And he's, he's not needing to control the control the flow of a fight at all because he's just, you know, demolishing people. Um so for me, I'm going to give it to Randy Couture, and I, I was highly impressed um, uh, from from his debut. Uh, Bob, over to you with your fighter of the night. Yeah, similar quality to Tommy. There's also the thought that you could uh, could uh, look at Tito Ortiz for the same thing. I, I don't think you have in that class as well, but the, uh, another good night for him as well. I'm going to go with Couture too. Um, I think just because yeah, you know, one, it, it's easier to win fight of the night when you win when you win two fights rather than one. Um, but I thought he looked really impressive against two guys that you know got him on the ground and and were you know in Halmer's case a lot heavier than him and in Graham's case was a you know a whole different beast in terms of the speed and side he he uh, yeah, but I think the the reason why Couture does it is that he made it look so easy like you know to an extent boxing out Tank Abbott Tank Abbott doesn't have the greatest defence Couture made two big guys look really really simple not taking anything away from Belfort but my fight of the night is Randy Couture uh, three for three I think uh, the easiest way to separate in his country is, as Bob alluded to is he won two fights and Vito won one I mean it was it was so neck and neck between the two but I've got to give it to Couture at 33 years of age to step into a new sport I know he has a a, a lifelong track record of very successful com- competing very successfully at, at amateur wrestling but MMA is a whole different sport and uh, although he can rely on many of the same skills and did so to win his fights but to be outweighed so heavily in a heavyweight tournament and to just completely dominate your opponents on the ground uh, and completely nullify that weight advantage on your first was uh, so impressive and as I said earlier the best is yet to come with Randy Couture and I can't wait to see him evolve over the years fighter of the night Randy Couture so we'll go straight into our overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10 I'll throw to you first Bob yeah it's weird I, I don't know that this is a show full of great matches and yet I think this is an immensely watchable show um, it went very quickly. Production-wise, it was really slick. Uh, once you get through the opening, which is by no means a bad match, there have been significantly worse matches on that, but it was just wasn't uh, it wasn't quite at the level that you would hope for, and certainly wasn't quite at the level that the rest were, even at a significantly longer time frame. Um, but yeah, an immensely watchable show, even without any great matches. And I think also, if you're looking at a, a show to watch, we're looking at you know the the early stages of uh, Vitor Belfort, the debut of Randy Couture, the debut of Tito Ortiz. Um, but still, I think the the show is greater than the sum of its parts. So I'll give it a seven out of ten. Tom, your overall thoughts on the show and score rating out of ten. Yes, I will open by saying that I agree with Bob in giving it a 7 out of 10. I um, I think if it wasn't for the 
impressive debut of Randy Couture and the second very impressive showing of uh, Vita Belfort, I would have given it six. But there is enough here to, as we said earlier, you can, if you wanted to skip through it, you could get through it very quickly. And even if you don't skip through between the fights, it, it flies by because, you know, as we said, the production has improved and the, um, there, there's, there's enough aside from the fights that, that keeps it interesting. I, I, I don't necessarily like the um, when they when they throw back and they they, they show you the um, previous fights. I always find those a bit unnecessary. Um, but you know, if it's within context of the story of you know who's fighting, that makes sense. And it, and it may be that people that are watching it for the first time haven't seen that haven't seen that before, so it makes sense. But for me, I always find that a bit a bit unnecessary. But it's it, it's slick. It pads it pads things out. They're generally not very long. The, the fights they pick. So it's not like they're picking Dan Seven versus Ken Shamrock for you to sit through in the middle of the show, which would be a fucking terrible mistake. Um, but um, yeah, overall, I, I, I found this to be a good show. It's not, it's not a classic. It's not one that, that's that's really going to. Well, it hasn't stood the test of time as a classic. Um, but there's enough in it that's worth your while watching, and it's just yeah, seven out of ten. Three for three on seven out of ten. Um, I thought this was a, a, a decent to good show. Um, enjoyed mostly everything on it. In the year 2017, where you've got WrestleManias that run for seven hours, and if you want to watch a UFC show from prelims to main event, you're going to be in there for maybe six hours plus. And uh, this is, as Bob said earlier, exceptionally watchable, and it flies by. It's two hours and 15 minutes if you don't skip anything. The transitions are smooth between fights to video packages. I thought mostly the video packages were relevant and they, 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 they did an excellent job, probably the best I've seen, of building the main event. Um, the only thing really holding this show back is is a great fight, necessarily. Like the, the majority of the good fights were too short to, to, to climb that ladder and become great. Um, everything else worked. Everything else was good. I enjoyed the show. So for me, a 7 out of 10. So I think... It's a good show overall. And that will just about do it for this month's uh, edition of the MMA 20 Years Ago podcast. Um, firstly, I'd like to thank uh, Tom Martin for joining us on this trip back in time. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It was good. It's, I, I enjoy these every time, and it's... Um, um it's concerning to hear the talk. We talk about the dark days of, of USC in, in the late 90s, and we, we've seen a hint of it here, and it'll be interesting to see the impact that it has on the next event that we review. I'm not quite sure when that is. Bob, do you know when the next one's lined up for? Uh, it's July. It's a Japan show. It's the, uh, it's, the Mor- it's the Mark Coleman-Morris Smith show. Ah, uh, yes. Um, okay. The, uh, the first Coleman defeat, and we, as we, we look and wonder why, uh, where and how Coleman's going to get beat, we're going to find out next time. Yeah, yeah sure. I think Five, then I think next year we get four, and I think it's ninety-nine where there's only three shows. Um, so yeah, it, we are going to go through. We talk about dark ages. I don't necessarily know that there's anything. Yeah, you know, I don't necessarily know whether the action declines in quality. It's just far people people are seeing it. Mm. Um, but yeah, next show's in July. Yeah, okay, and uh, no, it, that, that that will be interesting to see because Mark Coleman actually cut a good promo. I thought when he said they said, "What's your game plan for your next fight?" and he said, "I'm gonna." I, I can't remember exactly what he said. Is I'm, I'm going to take him to the ground and pound the shit out of him. Um, and he, he when he was 
when he was, like, is the F word he said wasn't it I think he said fuck it or something like that and Joe Rogan clearly like paused for a second and went ah oh, screw it he said it let's move on yeah he laughed and he Joe Rogan <laughs> laughed he's like oh, I can't there's nothing I can do here um, but yeah <laughs> well, that, that hasn't changed in 20 years either I suppose has it when you watch how uh, Rogan handles like Nate Diaz he's like well we're live you know yeah, well, what, can you do? What, what can you do but laugh he can't say to him don't swear Nate because he, he tell him to fuck off so yeah, no, it was a good review, good show. This, and um, I look forward to the next one. And of course, thank you very much as always, Bob Bamba, for running the show and 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 having me and Tom on effectively. No, it's it. We are, my my preparation for this show started five hours and thirteen minutes ago. I was completely cold on it. <laughs> Um, so I sat down at 8 o'clock, I watched Friends, and then between watching the show, I was scrambling to put the notes together. And yeah, we're going to finish in about a few minutes. But yeah, it's it's always great fun. Like, the one thing I like is that the, the wrestling shows take a fuckload of preparation. You've got to watch stuff across multiple weeks and do that. This week, and yeah, at least from my point of view, Chris, I know you watched the show last week and Tom watched the show at the weekend, but I can kind of come in and relative to everything else, this is really brief. And the the, the good thing, like, if, if I was able, if I had access to these shows, in, in in America, and they were twenty bucks a time. I think I'd be hooked by this point. Like you know, you you you're getting a a punchy two three hour show once every few months. The action's generally really good. The production's really improving. It, you know, I, I think I'd be watching them all. Whereas I think if it was wrestling, I'd probably be picking my spots more and more. Um, and it's really good. It's gonna be really interesting to see how it. Well, we talk about the dark age and how it all goes. Uh, Chris, would you like to do some promos now before you wrap up? Yeah, of course, yeah, feel free. Yes, uh, so very quickly, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamba. Uh, you can, if you would like to, donate to us on Patreon for five bucks a month. You get early access to basically, I think, all of our USC shows. I don't think there's ever going to be, most times we'll do USC shows at the start of the month. As I said, they're, they're quick and easy to get through. Oh, if you just like to say thank you, you can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20RS. The links are in the podcast description and on our website. Uh, I think that's about it, Chris. I'll, I'll throw it back to you. I, I know our, our next trip into the, um, into the real fighting world, I think it's going to be next month because we've got the, uh, the the second edition of the Mike Tyson Evander Holyfield fight to uh, to look forward to, uh, and then yeah, after that it's July. But yeah, Chris, back to you to, to wrap up the show. While I remember, Tom, uh, you you also can be found on Twitter. Yeah, that's right. You can find me at Mark Out Martin with a Y. Lovely. Um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Chris White fourteen. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed our trips back into MMA, and it saddens me to hit, like, really, I could, I could do with these monthly. Like, I, I really enjoy these shows. They're so fun to watch. Um, they fly by. Uh, almost every show flies by, probably with the exception of UFC 9 with the, uh, Shamrock and, uh, Seven fight. But aside from that, they're, they're all, they're all fun in their own way, and they're, they're, they're only getting better, so. Long may it continue. But yeah, as I say, that will do it for Volume 4 of uh, your uh, podcast this month. Uh, volume 1 will be your WCW covering Slamboree. You've got Volume 2 looking at WWF in your house, A Cold Day in Hell. And Volume 3 is ECW. This, of course, has been Volume 4, your MMA 20 years ago podcast looking at UFC 13. I've been Chris White. Uh, thank you very much for joining us back in the time machine. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>